she said it was, and that she sold her house to cover the $14,000 cost of her trip to the U.S. Last year, U.S. Customs and Border Protection reported 37,000 Chinese citizens were apprehended crossing illegally from Mexico into the U.S. That's 50 times more than two years earlier. Many of the migrants told us they made the journey to escape China's increasingly repressive political climate and sluggish economy. This 37-year-old woman said China's COVID lockdown destroyed her childcare business. She left her two young children with family at home. And why did you decide to come to the United States? Many reasons. For work or? Not, not entirely. Okay, what, what reasons? Freedom. How much property do you have here? The land they're waiting on is owned by 75-year-old Jerry Schuster, a retiree. The whole world seems to know there's a way in and it's on your property. They're all doing this. They're all doing this. When they come over here, they come with the suitcases. They come prepared with the computers, just like they got off on a Norwegian cruise ship yesterday. Schuster owns 17 acres just north of the border fence and a quarter mile outside of Yacumba Hot Springs, California. Population 540. You're an immigrant yourself. Yes. Where did you come from? I come from Yugoslavia, and I left Yugoslavia. I went to Austria. I stayed there eight months, and I knocked on this door. I didn't bust the door down to come over here. You came through the front door? I came through the front door. And what do you think about this? Hey, they don't care. They, 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 they come through their whole, like, they come into their own country over here, and nobody do nothing about it. Schuster says it all started in May. He went to investigate some smoke coming from his property and found migrants burning trees to stay warm. Today, his property looks like a messy moonscape, littered with the trash and tents migrants have left behind. Have you ever just yelled, get out of here? Well, they say, uh, I, uh, that was uh, like four months ago. There was eight guys started uh, knocking my trees and start burning my 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 trees on the other side. Uh -huh. So I told them, please don't do that. Please don't. They start surrounding me. I went home and I got my gun and I shoot in the air. They arrest me. They arrested you. Yeah, they arrested me on your property. Yeah, on my property. Yeah, just because I asked them not to burn the trees, not to knock the fences, and they they arrest me. They put me, you know police car and just protecting my own land. Yeah. Schuster wasn't charged, but his gun was confiscated. If you had to guess, how many migrants do you think you've seen come through here? 
maybe three thousand a, a week. Three thousand a week. I would say that yes, because this is ongoing deal. Right now, working nonstop. I want to bring in Dr. Bradley Thayer because I think this will contextualize what's happening in the southern border, and particularly the fact that the Chinese Communist Party. They may say, oh, Trump could be better. And the mainstream media is saying, oh, you know, she, they want Trump. As, as uh, Nicole just said, the last thing they want is, uh, is Trump, the, the person who's prepared to not have engagement with them and to, and to play hardball with the Chinese Communist Party. Dr. Thayer, you got a magnificent piece that's out. People forget that she gets a vote in this election. Hi, Steve. Yeah, it's great to join you again. Uh, thanks for having me on. He, he does indeed get a, 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 um, a vote in the election. Look, this year is a critical one for Xi Jinping and the Chinese Communist Party. Um, they're an illegitimate government because they're communists. And they know that they're illegitimate. Their economy is in free fall. Uh, the CSI 1000 index is down uh, 7%, right? It's the, I believe, seventh day that it's in decline. It's, it's the, basically their stock market is, is, uh, is just falling apart. One of many problems that they have. Uh, in their uh, economy, uh, and that gives um, the necessity for Xi Jinping to sustain and continue his lifeline. His lifeline is with Joe Biden or Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama, because it is with those engagers, those Biden, Newsom, Obama, will sustain trade and investment in the CCP, and that's going to sustain Xi Jinping. Trump is going to cut that off. So uh, Trump is going to go after Xi Jinping hard to put him on the ash heap of history, just as Ronald Reagan did to the Soviet uh, Communist Party. So Xi knows that Trump is an existential threat to him. And that's why Xi Jinping is, and the Chinese Communist Party are going to use every tool at their disposal to ensure that Trump does not become president uh, in, on no, November 5th uh, of, uh, of this year. Uh, and so we should expect massive election interference uh, in the U.S. presidential election to ensure that Biden or Newsom or Obama uh, become president. I, I, haven't, I haven't put it up yet, but Scott Besant, remember, the hedge fund guy, the former source guy who's MAGA, who now did this amazing piece talking about the Trump rally in this U.S. stock market. They did the analysis. When Trump's leading, market goes up higher. When Biden's leading... Either market doesn't increase as much or actually goes down. The Financial Times of London on Saturday actually did a piece from one of their lead columnists that said they talk about the Trump effect as it, as it hits China, that they think a bunch of this free fall is investors saying, hey, Trump was hard the first time. Trump's talking about 60% tariffs. He's talking about these huge tariffs. Now's the time to get my money out, but it's certainly not time to put any money in. Give me your assessment of that Trump effect in China right now. I think that's entirely accurate uh, that there is uh, there's a reason why the stock market, the Chinese stock market is is uh, just uh, in collapse. And that's, I think, precisely because of that. There's the expectation from foreign investors uh, that Trump stands a very good chance of being uh, elected on November 5th. Uh, and so um, China does not look good because Trump is going to hold the CCP to account. He's going to do his utmost to evict them from power. Again, this is existential, right? This is a titanic struggle between Trump and Xi Jinping. And it's not framed in that way. But in fact, it is. 
Uh, and Xi is putting his thumb on the scale to get Biden over the over the finish line or Gavin Newsom or Michelle Obama. Uh, so he's going to employ every that's TikTok. That's you know, there's a reason why these guys are coming over the border. It's sabotage. Uh, it's also going to be election interference, which is going to take a cyber form. It's going to take a deep fake artificial intelligence form. It's going to take um, ballot harvesting and, and stuffing. Right. Essentially, the, uh, 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 you know, in some respects, the uh, the uh, more yeoman tasks of, of stealing uh, an election. Um, and you're going to expect, of course, that Xi Jinping is going to follow that Chicago mantra, vote early and vote often to ensure that um, <laughs> the Democrat candidate gets elected. Right. So we have to return to the discussion here of this phenomenon of the outbreak of real political tyranny here in the United States. And you can see the bad actors in the background and this neo-Bolshevik uprising within the, the credential class from the halls of academia, the Marxist cadre you know, has really grown and metastasized to such an extent where you can see that they have control over the levers of power and little by little the the gatekeepers and the and the nodes the key choke points where decision making power is is really being accrued into the hands of the fewest and the most hyper political and, and hostile partisan provocateurs right i mean all the way into the pentagon where they're so self assured in the rightness and the and the moral value and quality of their dei and uniquely white racists in their dna right where other people who have other characteristics and ethnicities from other places in the world who have melanin content in their skin, those individuals cannot possibly be racist, according to these new Marxist university Ivy League definitions of what is right and wrong and what definitions and what words mean. Only whitey, right, can be racist. And I, I mean, we're not just making this up and, you know, we're not like playing the victim role. And you don't see people in America who are from all walks of life who might be from from all over northern parts of the world, right? Parts of the world that are farther away from the equator, places like Poland and Germany, right? People in America are really just the the sounds and the wild offshoot branch families that came from all over Europe and Scandinavia and Russia. And so it's really quite racist to even denominate people, as we said over and over again, into this terminology and this useless propaganda idioms like whites, because people are from Scotland, people are from all over the world, people who come from the northern climes, right? Their their family lines have spread all over the face of the earth. And, and it, the truth is, is that it's really these these people who have a light complexion, who are Swedes, who might be from Belarus, right? They might even be from Italy. You really can't tell. 
until you hear them talk. These people are so diverse and they look so different and unique from, and they're from all over the place. But the truth is, is we have different levels of melanin in our skin. Some of us are more tanned and some of us are light complexion. And so this is how this kind of myopic, deranged, unsophisticated and blunt force trauma which these uh, globalists are using against the populace to kind of put us in this position. And they keep reinforcing the stereotypes, the anti-stereotypes, over and over again in their movies and their propaganda. And, and everything you watch now on Netflix is, has to be uh, the, the traditional roles of every single individual have to be traditionally reversed. Every man who could be from sub-Saharan Africa, right, who might have melanin in his skin, he might be an African man. But he might not be. Maybe he's from really South America or even from, from Australia, right? The Aborigines in Australia, you know, very many of them could be, have dark, you know, skin color and dark melanin content in their skin. They could be, you know, thought to be from Africa, but, you know, they're not. They're, they're you know, so th this kind of looking through the world, through the straw, right? Total ignorance that Hollywood pervades Hollywood, pervades, you know, the pop culture and hip hop thinking. It really did. And just black and white, you know, they, like, Black History Month. So we're pretty deep into it now. It's it's pretty hard for people to back out of it and really understand what's being foisted on them and what they're losing in this trade-off to enter into these kind of cathartic, pre-engineered racial conflicts along racial lines, like roughly, right? Because we're all so different. We're all from different places and we all could be said to be different ways, but because of the way that this 1940s, 1950s, 1960s racialist dialectic, right, that these Freemasons and these papal knights and these ultramontane lords and sovereigns from afar, right? They've foisted us into the, the American populace, into many things, many traps, many choking uh, currency, insolvency, and, and debt servitude, right? Because we're, we're now, I don't know how much, you have to go count up how many people you have in your household, uh, how, many, how much money that you guys owe the IRS and the international banks, the, you know, the banking establishment there in London, for instance. Uh, apparently we all owe them something around $200,000 each, even if you're just a newborn baby. I don't know about your family, but our family has newborn babies and that newborn baby has got to be signed up for that $200,000. We all owe it because the truth of the matter is, is that it's the full faith and credit of the United States of America that backs that currency, right? That federal reserve note. Can't really call it a dollar. That's not really exactly accurate. It's a note. It's a debt note. It's a Federal Reserve debt note, okay? It came into being in 1913. They crashed it in 1929. And we've been going down the tubes ever since. So the, it, 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 there are many things that we've been saddled with that have been foisted on us other than just the, the psychological operations of being, now becoming cloned out and psychologically tuned to be blacks or whites, okay? So I'm not, I'm not going to accept it. I, I'm from Ireland originally. I think there's a little bit of German, right? So I'm like a German Irish guy. And so we still have, you know, roughly German Irish kids. So you see how that works. Pretty amazing. So I, that's, I, I like that appellation more and I don't appreciate white. I don't appreciate being called that. It's quite slanderous. It's like, it's like to me and now it's like the N word. And I know people are still going to use it constantly. And it's the dialectic by which we're all being wedged and pigeonholed into this kind of outbreak of mania and psychological distortion, right? And, and the, the process of the psyops that we're being descended into here in America. And so, you know, you have to keep, continue on with the, the importance of, uh, of all the diversity and equity and inclusion mantras. He's scared of the Fulton County constituency, and he does not want to seem like he's interrupting a powerful black woman or 
he's going to let her go, go, go. And then he secretly thinks it's so outrageous. He's going to remove her from the case. And then he's going to say, well, I indulged her. So don't get mad at me. I don't know what it is, but I have a, I think it's, I think it's option one. Uh, he's afraid. I, I do too. And, and he made a fool of himself. The judge did. Yeah. And, and then the commentary, Jack, Jeffrey Tubin, whom I don't understand why this person is back on CNN. He was wow. caught masturbating on Zoom. And I mean, that, that should have destroyed any shred of right. integrity that he had left. He was on there and he said flat out, I don't care if she lied. So what? It has nothing to do with Donald Trump's guilt or innocence. Yes, it does. No other prosecutor would ever have brought that case. She brought it and she said and alleged certain things. But if we find out she has no credibility and she's a serial liar and she has committed fraud, then why would we trust anything she says? And can he get that as a lawyer? This mm -hmm. hatred of Trump is so elemental, so existential. That uh, with this James case and the Carroll settlement, we've got two down, and Fannie Willis is coming up, and then we've got this crazy Alvin Bragg with with the campaign Stormy Daniels thing, and then we've got Jack Smith, and you know, there. Every legal scholar that has any reputation says that Jack Smith wasn't going after Donald Trump. He would have never filed writ after writ after writ to speed up the trial before the election. And, right. and he's, that's what he's doing. And so this is all coordinated to drain him of money, to just damage uh, his reputation before the election, to take his time, to destroy him physically psychologically financially about everything and i you know it is true you don't can't believe it's happening in the united states victor this um one last thing on on willis she um i, th I think nathan wade her her you know legal lover comes off as a kept man and so for her to use the i'm not going to emasculate a black man when she has emasculated him by essentially being a female jiggle to him, I think is kind of kind of ridiculous. Yeah, also, I, I know. Yeah, we, one other thing is the um, you know the, the the philosophy of the Biden administration and liberalism now is that remember you know this threshold of we're going to go after anybody who spends more than we want to track all your spending more than six hundred dollars. So. Fanny Willis should be into, very much into, uh, given her ideology. They won't, they, won't, they won't do a thing to her for yeah. that, all of that cash, if that's true. It'd be very easy just to subpoena her bank records and see how many times during this trip or right before it, she made massive withdrawals on ATMs so that she would have the cash to give him. And I don't think she's going to allow those bank records to be to be looked at because I don't think she gave him a dime. And that yeah. was the whole point. She hired him when he was unqualified. He was grateful. So he took her on an expensive series of junkets. And then they got up in front of everybody and they lied. And they played the race card ad nauseum. He played the yeah. race card. She played the race card. Her father played the, the ex-Black Black Panther. He right. played the race card in the same fashion. That Lakita James has played the race card the same fashion that Claudine Gay has played the race card. It's just 
you know, if Donald Trump had said, well, I want to make a statement. This is a white thing. you got to understand that right. I did this because it's a, a white thing, and people who are not con- uh, familiar with the white community don't understand how we do things. People would have laughed him or said he was a racist. And it's got to stop because it's warping every aspect of our society. This, I need a special exemption, and I need to get uh, immunity from this particular criticism or, or application of a law or a protocol because of my race. And right. It's, and then, you know, the other thing is, when I, lo- <laughs> when I heard her speak, and I heard her, saw her temperament. How did that woman ever get through law school or to get series of very prestigious appointed jobs to put her in a position even to run for, for the district attorney? I, I could not believe it. I mean, if, if that is the representation of Fulton County and she sits there and looks and interrupts and gets sassy and starts to, uh, talk about race and won't answer questions and then attacks the questioner and all of this. I mean, you can say Donald Trump is crude and disruptive, but he's not the district attorney with the responsibility to represent the state or the county. She is. And it's, it's, it's just mind boggling what's going on in this country with these lawsuits, get him off the ballot, do all of this. And then at the same time they're doing this, they're sending out the narrative Oh, my God, he might get elected. So let's pass a law that protects federal employees in the administrative state from being laid off at high position. My God, we're going to do this to him. We're going to do this. And we can talk for a second, Jack, about this missing binder. Matt, uh, Sammy and I just brought it up briefly, but today right. there's there's more information that uh, Michael Schellenberg's not a nut, and they believe that the powers that be were terrified that Donald Trump deliberately took that out and had it in his possession to use at an opportune date. And it showed that John Brennan allegedly had had people contact foreign entities to have a surveillance of which we knew took place of Trump people. We know they did that to Papadopoulos, set him up in a bar. We know they did that to Carter Page. We know that there were people abroad in the CIA were paid large sums of money to surveil the Trump people. And when you have that type of roguery, and this is added on to using the FBI in the last election to work with Twitter to censor the laptop story or to recruit former CIA people to swear something that was impossible, that Moscow cooked up this laptop. It, it really begs the question, is this agency even viable? Is the FBI viable? When you're talking about making false statements, think about it for a minute. Andrew McCabe lied four times under oath, admittedly, to federal investigators. They didn't do anything to him. A FBI attorney doctored a court document that was submitted. And the Carter Page lied. They they just put him on suspension. He's got his. He's practicing law again. He wasn't even banned for three years like the Trump kids. So something is really scary about this country. And I guess the message is, it's kind of like the Soviet message: join the party, or you're going to be on the outside, and you're not going to like it. 
If you're a business person in New York, I guess my advice to you would be you either you better get out of that state as soon as possible or you better stop any donation to any Republican candidate and you better start sending big campaign donations to Alvin Bragg, Latita James, Governor Holtkohl, Eric Adams, or you won't be able to do business in that state, in that city. But if you do, I think you'll be protected. Right. Well, Victor, um, we're going to get your thoughts, more tr thoughts on Trump, about um, his comments about NATO, and a uh, piece you've written for X Twitter about the two ways Donald Trump could lose in, uh, in uh, November, and we'll get to that. Back with Victor Davis Hanson's show. So, Victor, let's lump these uh, two uh, Trumpian, Trumpy uh, topics in, into one. So Donald Trump made some very, very uh, rough, tough, and much covered comments about NATO and NATO nations that are not fulfilling their uh, two percent defense obligation, and what um, what Putin and Russia can do about that. And then you also wrote for Twitter X about your thoughts on two ways that Donald Trump could lose in November. Victor, your, share your thoughts with us, please. Well, remember Donald Trump. Uh, last week said two things that disrupted the catastrophic Biden 24-hour news cycle in which the special counsel had basically said that, that Joe Biden had criminal liability and exposure because he willfully removed classified documents over several decades as a senator, as a vice president, and as a private citizen before he became president. And that he knew he had done that because there was a tape in 2017 that he remarked to his ghostwriter that he had in his possession classified documents, which he did not, contrary to what he alleged, notify federal authorities. And that ghostwriter in fear five years later, i.e. in the present when Jack Smith was appointed, erase that audio. And the only reason that we know it was through forensics. So the point I'm making is that was a bad news cycle. And then the uh, about a week ago, the Joe Biden press conference to show that he was mentally alert and dynamic. I remember the people like Corinne Jean-Pierre, Jack, and Kamala Harris said he's the most dy dynamic guy in the room. He just impresses everybody with his encyclopedic knowledge, his instant recall. They're just blown out when he comes in. And so to prove that was true and that the special prosecutor was false, Joe Biden gave a press conference. He lost his temper and then he lied. He said the files were not classified. They were. He said they were stored in a safe and secure. Anybody look at the photograph, that garage is messier than, it's like a dump, it's like Hoarder's garage. And then he lied and said he came forward to authorities. So it was, and then he mixed up the president of Mexico, the president, so it was a disaster. So we were going into the weekend and this week, Jack, with real questions that Joe Biden was, uh, was not fit to be president because the left was in a dilemma. The special prosecutor said, okay, yeah, he's guilty, but he's also demented. So it's one or the other. And I decided I could never convince a 
jury he's guilty because they would obviously see he's demented. And then they, they left said, oh, how dare you? He's not demented. And then they stopped and paused and thought, okay, he's, he's not demented. Maybe he's guilty. Or then they said, no, I can't say that. Okay, uh, he's, he's innocent, but he's demented. And they couldn't figure out that. And they just, that lose-lose uh, choice. So, and then Donald Trump started saying things. And the first thing he said that Nikki Haley's husband, as we said, where, where is she? And the, the implication was that they are separated and that he's not deployed, apparently, because of rumors of long-ago adultist tryst. Big deal. But that made him look small. And then secondly, he said that in the context of NATO not paying their fair share and how successful he, Donald Trump, had been in getting them to, when a NATO member said, would you defend us from Russia if we have not met our commitments? And he said, no. In fact, I don't give a hell whether Russia attacks you. And I guess that was the threats that he used that was successful. That part, of course, didn't come across that he got more NATO countries to beef up their contributions to meet the 2% of GDP requirement, but that was lost in translation. So my point was simply, Jack, that the only thing that can stop Donald Trump is Latita James, and I think that is going to be reversed on appeal. They've never used that law before. There was no victim. Uh, people are outraged. Our Fanny Willis, and I think that, I do think that she's either going to lose a case or they're going to take give it to someone else who won't want anybody, anything to do with it in another county. Alvin Bragg is, I don't know what to say about that, campaign finance. They find Barack Obama uh, in 2009 for hiding the names of his donors, $375,000, but they kept it quiet and didn't really announce it for five years, so it wouldn't hurt him. They fined uh, Hillary 119 for using campaign monies to pay off Christopher Steele and fusing GPS to those paywalls. They kept that. They didn't do that for a couple of years. So it's not going to hurt him. And then there's Jack Smith. Jack Smith's problem is Jack Smith right now is essentially trying Donald Trump for the same crime that his counterpart twin special counsel Robert Hur tried Joe Biden and found unlike unlike Jack Smith because he hasn't found that yet that Joe Biden willfully broke the law in a felonious fashion and removed classified files out of you know, unsecured locations without the ability to declassify them given his office was not president and he did so over three decades and yet he's not going to be prosecuted though he's because he's demented so i would tell donald trump if he tried if jack smith tries to press those charges against him he should just say that he's demented because he mixed up haley and, and pelosi's name and he, no jury would convict him something like that. that's where we are in america now so I think he can survive that. I don't know if he'll come out with any money. I don't know if he'll come out with any time, but he'll be viable in a sense in the general election. But if he keeps, if he keeps batting away these softballs that are sent to him, he should just accept them. My God, this, this is, these are gifts right. about, about what's happening with Joe Biden.
And they are panicking. Now they're going after an FBI. When's the last time the FBI went after an FBI crooked informant? Did you see that? They right. say, I mean, who was the crookedest informant they've ever had? It was Christopher Steele. That guy made up everything. Right. And what did the FBI do? Nothing. So they are panicking because they see that the proverbial walls are closing in on Joe Biden. But uh, it, all Trump has to do, there's no margin of error. They don't have the money to the left. They don't have the media to the left. They don't have the institutional clout of the left. They don't have the mastery of, of non-election day voting the left does. It's going to be the nastiest, meanest, most contentious election in our history and the most expensive. And Donald Trump is walking a, along an abyss with everybody trying to push him in. And he can't jump in. And I know that's a lot to ask because I don't think any of us could take the abuse that he's suffered. But he, right. has, he has to because, as I said, the 2024 election is not 2020. We've gone down the hard road of socialism to such a degree in the last four years that we're not getting going to have much more opportunity to stop it. I mean, we've the world's on fire. Well, we've That's institution. Fine. If anybody, did anybody think four years ago that we would institutionalize the idea that men participate in women's sports? And if you object, you can be fired. Do we institutionalize the idea the SAT score would be thrown out? Did we institutionalize the idea that prosecutors at the local and state level would go after a presidential candidate or try to get him off the ballot? Did we institutional, did we ever think there would be no border, not a porous border, no border, 8 million people? Did we ever think that Hamas would go across and one day kill, rape, mutilate, dismember 12,000 Jewish civilians? Did we ever think that Vladimir Putin, who had been kept in a cage, would just go into Ukraine and try to take Kiev? No. And do we ever think we just say, yeah, we've been done that. We're gone. Buy Afghanistan. Oh, $50 billion. Take it. We don't need it. Uh, we've seen things that we've never imagined. And if we had four more years of this. And we get up to $40 trillion in borrowed money. I don't know what we're going to do. So there you have it, guys. We're, we're bringing you the receipts. We're getting the different parts of this story that's coming out, the different advantages. We're going to have Papadopoulos on here speaking. We're going to have the different advantages that we can bring to bear. This, this is all what's crucial. I mean, these are different individuals out there and thinkers and academics and political figures and financiers that we have on the show who are listening to. And we have to patchwork what they're finding out on the inside and come and patchwork together what we can learn here and the outside. We're just the outside audience, guys. I mean, let's face it. We're just the, the manipulated and deceived masses. We're the sheeple. And we don't have a, a, a great advantage when it comes to finding out the truth about this information. I remember Sean Hannity banging on and on and on for over this, this FISA corruption and these Papadopoulos setup and this move from this, this chicanery and this, these, this espionage and these geopolitical machinations unfolding in London and then in, in, in Rome with Mifsud, Joseph Mifsud, that Jesuit, right? But we're not, who's deceived? Who, who's still like enmeshed in the matrix here and the different layers? and can't see the forest through the trees, right? These spy schools in London and, and these advanced CIA academies in Rome, right? All the swanky hotels and the underlying international control grid that penetrates through the sovereignty of the American people and the national security and the whole outbreak of this in total farce 
that we're seeing it come together now with it's clear that these traitors, these little worms in the Obama administration at the behest of this Marxist traitors in the gates, right? And after everything we found out about Obama's underhanded introduction of this new darkness into the White House, right? A new catastrophe that's underlying this whole criminal scheme that has been so abusive to the American people has gotten completely out of control. So now we have these, this cabal of neo-Bolshevik actors that are inside the wire, right? They're, they're inside the, the agencies. And so this whole process of finding Joe Biden's ridiculous classified documents in the, in the in the cobwebs and dust of his ridiculous garage by his ridiculous Corvette, right? His ridiculous crackhead, pervert, pedophile family and the, and the, whole, the whole thing. The whole thing is disgusting. The, the whole apparatus of profane and boorish and greedy, petulant little perverted, petulant little pigs up in Washington, D.C. It's just become so played out. It's just so old. And this whole scheme, you know, you remember Solyndra? I knew right what was going on from that point on. Right when they had the whole, right, how did they get rich just collapsing this supposed uh, solar solar technology company? Just, it's, they're all bullshit, right? The, the whole, the, the, like all 56 of the guys who signed the paper against Trump saying that he was a Russia, Russia, Russia collusion, you know, something conspirator or something. All those guys should be brought up in charges and investigated and their clearances, their, their class, their, their security clearances removed. Right? These are the, this is the, the, the frogs and the, the ugly warts and the toads and the, the little slimy lizards down in the swamp of the deep state, right? They're there just to for, 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 right, these guys are all in their 60s and 70s, right? They're going out. They're going out the door of life. They're moving on down the line towards, you know, whatever happens to them next after this life, right? But they're going to clutch on like psychopath, like leeches, sucking as hard as possible on the, the tit of the thing, of their their paymasters at the, the military industrial, pharma, pharmaceutical industrial complex, as we have it here, biosecurity, deep state or whatever. Yeah, guys, we, we have to retain our humanity and fight to keep every semblance of innocence and humanity that we have left. Now, I don't know about you, but these dealing with these people is getting the stink of them all over me, right? I mean, just having to look at their ridiculous and filthy diatribes on libs of TikTok, for instance. I mean, these people, they're just, and they're so unrecoverable and they're so profane and disgusting. It just, it brings the, the collective median IQ and, and, and moral metric down right just um on mass the whole the whole dealing with these people is so despicable and disgusting just to have to contemplate how they think and how they reason and how they act and how they are are, are constantly moving the goalposts closer and closer and closer to to the children right it's all about getting snuggled up to the little children right that's what the, these pedophiles obama you're all a bunch of little pedophile pederast sick fucks and that, that's what the rest of us normal humans are starting to discover about you and there's no amount of pr agency that you can can fund or there's no way to like spin that you guys are sick you're debased and corrupted beyond repair right so that's what this is all about this, this whole thing is all about the whole yarn that's uncoiling in front of our face it's unspooling the, the truth is coming out they, they can't hide it and i'm sure they're going to continue to kill people right i'm sure weird accidents will happen old uh, executive and directors of the you know, donald trump campaign will you know will get shot suddenly just in washington dc crime incident no big deal right just everyone's gonna get seth riched one at a time right in the, when their moment comes right we're just the deep state just gonna uh unleash a crime wave or some wet work or whatever it takes right just to take out the opposition right that's what we're witnessing here in america you can see the 
the columns and the support structure of our constitution and of our democratic republic, our popular representative democracy right here in America. It's crumbling around, down around us as we, as we just sit here and watch. How many more uh, ex-YouTube CEOs are going to lose their children to fentanyl in a college dorm, right? Can, can you imagine that? Can, can you even picture it? Can you even grasp the horror and pain? You, you have your 19-year-old son, insulated, white privilege, right? He, expecting the whole world, right? You, you've, you've worked hard. You, you've been a, a CEO of YouTube. You've made huge salaries. You, you're, you're one of the elite. Right, you're not. You're, you're beyond reach, and you, you send your son off to Dartmouth or Princeton or or whoever great school you send him to. And there, in the in the college dorms, he dies on overdose of fentanyl. Right? That's that's what you guys don't understand. This this is completely out of control. It's going to reach everyone everywhere. And if you're over there supporting abortion, that means you also support the destruction of Israel, and you're supporting the terrorism of Hamas and the rape of, of children and, and 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 the kidnapping of people and destruction of whole families. You're, you're supporting the cartels on the border. Right? You might as well just go down and order a big brick of of cocaine with like a a scorpion stamp on it and just have it shipped to your house because you're part you are the problem you are the you are the business partner and the political attache and the do boy servant of this entire monstrous and diabolical structure of of corruption and hezbollah down there joining up and and hanging out with the dangerous and massive drug cartels that are basically turning mexico into a narco state maybe they'll put a hit on you right wasn't that what uh what carrie lake was pointing out to us how, how there's the, the courier who sends the messenger, who sends the, the little do boy with the folded up paper in his pocket to deliver the, the message about, hey, why don't you come on over and just serve the money and serve the power? And we'll just we'll kiss up and make good with the cartels and then they won't have to kill you, right? So this is how we're going to arrive at a United Nations North American Union, right? They're, they want a North American Union, guys. Isn't it obvious? Nobody can just say the thing of name, name the thing, name what it is. They're trying to smash our border. Why? They're trying to crash our currency. Why? They're trying to invade America with all these new Confederate soldiers, right? The, the new, the new army of the South, right? A mercenary army, right? These are the new, the new Hessians. Except for not, they're not well-paid, well-educated Germans. These, these Hessians are just low quality and impoverished rejects from their home countries, right? And of course their home countries are wrecked because of the, the Goliath as Brett Weinstein likes to call it. Good term. Totally, totally encapsulates the entire, and it's a biblical reference to boot. I like that. And so it turns wine, Brett Weinstein into a preacher of the gospel. The good news, right? Of course. But the good news is really the gospel, which is the truth. And of course, we're all behind that. We're all behind free speech because we're all behind the sometimes painful declaration and difficult utterances of the truth out loud so people can hear. So as we're going forward here, we have to take it seriously. We have to see how serious the difficulty we're facing here in America. Like I, watching Candace Owens, she's handsome to look at, but on all all topics, you know, and hey, I'm not even as educated as her or as well, or as well to do, right? She's she's doing really, really well for herself, but she, she seems to think that all this border issue is to cause a terrorist attack so that there'll be some kind of place that we'll have to send our soldiers overseas. Now, now, I don't think we have to send our soldiers overseas. I think it's painfully clear that the new war is going to be fought right here in America. You're seeing it fought all around you all the time. You're just trying to sit in your cabana by the beach and, and drink umbrella drinks with fruit cocktail, right? Just trying to kick back to get some sun rays. And of course, all around you on the beach, there's foreigners from Eritrea or here to rape, pillage, and plunder your countryside. They just hit the beach and just run over you and kick sand on you and on your sunscreen as they break into America and steal it, as they steal America. 
they're robbing they're robbing America and they're robbing it from us and they're getting ready to try to put those sick and petulant and marauding invaders have no idea where they are how to treat people or you know right they've just been driven here by World Economic Forum United Nations policies They've been driven here by the winds of the internationalist vendetta and the slow, incremental, and gradualism of the Congress of Vienna, anathemas and curses, right, as we always said, that are being faithfully and very slowly executed. These exploits that have been planned for a century now, over a century, the revenge of the counter-reformation and the Jesuit order to destroy this Protestant republic, this upstart to try to make men free of the papal idolatry, the temporal spiritual dominion of the Pope of Rome as it casts that violent, bloody shadow of tyranny and despotism across all of Europe and all the world. And these nations, and I think our, our friend and advisor and teacher there, Eric Phelps would point out, Pastor Phelps, would probably point out that those nations who broke the back of the temporal and spiritual power of the Pope in Rome and broke away and created independent nations and visualized a land where men could be free and free from spiritual superstition and religio-cultic idolatry that destroys the hearts and minds and souls of men, right? Reduces all mankind to a bloody inquisition and the abyss and torture of the dungeons of all the different princes and monarchs of Europe. They all, they all have their dungeons. They all have their, their place for you to go down and recant, maybe have your feet burned off. Maybe have your feet burned down to the bone. You know, you can still have some charred bone down there. But you're not going to walk anymore, right? But you're going to recant. You're going to repent. You're going to recant to uh, whatever heresy your neighbors are charged you with. Of course, if you read the, the history of the Inquisition, it gets so out of control that it just becomes a, a mechanism by which you just murder any adversary and steal their land. For the Pope and for the, for the greatness of God, for the great glory of God, right, Jesuits? Isn't that why you always do your murders and your poisonings and your treachery and your, ma- your destruction of nations? To serve God, right? This, so people don't understand how sick and maniacal and insanely fixated these, these novices and, and these assistancies that support this ancient and distilled religious violence, this ultramontane orthodoxy of absolute dominion and power, absolute rule. And so the, the foreign international, that's why these, these priests... And these Jesuit chaplains up in the capital, they should, uh, they should have to sign up as foreign, as representatives of a foreign power, right? Shouldn't they have to sign up as representatives of a foreign power? They, they re- represent the foreign power of the king and the sovereign monarch of the, the nation kingdom of Rome, of the Vatican city-state, right? Am I missing something? So this whole part where he comes out and kisses babies and waves at the adoring fans, I mean, they're not really faithful. They're just, these are idol worshipers. They replaced the truth of the living God with this man of sin and this reprobate antichrist, this Caesar, right? This new Caesar, this new Pharaoh who comes out and expects to be adorned and and treated uh, with gilded privilege. And that he should sit crowned, sit enthroned with the crown, the mitre crown of heaven upon his head, right? We're all just supposed to believe this rigmarole. We're supposed to partake in it. You put the mark of the beast ashes on your forehead and you go through the whole ritual because, I mean, if you don't, what will the consequences be for you civilly and socially? What will be the consequences to your to your clientele list, right? I mean, that, that's, that's what we're learning here in all this work that we're doing here. We're discovering how central it is that the, the espionage and the covert of clandestine operations controls the Rome and controls London and controls Washington, D.C., is willing to pave over us all and turn us all into a landing strip in order to get what they want. 
And this age-old struggle that we've had with the, the right of the people to rule themselves, the right of them to keep and maintain firearms to protect themselves, for them to have their own right to have their own Bibles at home and to have the freedom of their own press and to inform themselves. This whole, this whole operation of, of building America was to free the people of, of not only America but of the world from this tyranny in Rome and in London. That was the whole plan. And so the, the whole thing is a process of instantiating a system and a declaration and a written constitutional framework by which we can remember and tell our children and, and maintain the political direction of our governing apparatus towards freedom and towards liberty and towards the empowerment of the people. And of course, we, do, we had, to, they had to separate those branches of power. They had, to do, they had to do all these things in order to give the people a chance to have a, a republic and have a representative democracy that w- which they could be free and wealthy and prosperous citizens of free nations. Right? That's what it was. And this entire monstrous Leviathan and Goliath system that we resisted in 1776 is the same exact apparatus and system that we have to resist today. And it comes in the name of CIA puppet cutout boy Barry Davis Sotoro Obama and his boyfriend Michael, right? Let's just face it. I mean, I never, back in the day, they used to have to do a check on the popes. They had to like do a little, you know, check on the undies, just a little check, check. Make sure we uh, make sure we're not having a, a you know the wrong uh, plumbing down there. Maybe we just need to check. What's up? What's up, Michelle Obama? You don't have any pictures of being pregnant. You, no one knows where those kids came from, and it's a total conspiracy theory because you're supposedly a man. So are you a man, Michelle Obama? Are you a man? So let's stop flipping the world over and trying to make us all use weird pronouns and stop trying to turn every kid in the classroom into a different gender, a little perversion. Let's stop, let's stop trying to molest the little innocent minds of the kids in the classrooms by making them think about pe- penises and vaginas all day, right? What if my vagina is supposed to be a penis? Right? They're messing up the kids' minds. And this is all coming from the Obamas because they, ha- they are perverted, sick fucks, and they have to make the world into their own image. It's like the Midas touch of shit. And we're supposed to all clap and like it and put on our mask and celebrate it. We're not, no, we're not, we're not doing any of that. And I'll, look at all these worms over here. Those little sad little sycophant little worshipping worms are down wriggling, wriggling, slimy little worms wriggling around trying to hold up the, the Biden sign as, as our country goes down in flames. Welcoming in the invaders. Oh, come and invade in my house. Come and stay and you can invade in my house. I have a room for you. You can invade in, in my fridge and take my food, right? So how long before a whole family, American family, is slaughtered by these individuals who will find still living in the house of the individuals they've murdered, right? I mean, how long? How long? Is it going to be in Britain or France? I mean, I hate to even say it because then later it'll come true. And I mean, I have like 5,000 listeners and you will know. You will know I said it, but no one else will. So I mean, it's very, very unsatisfying to be right about shit like this. When you have like a weird psychic flash in your mind and you just have a terror and you have a fear of like of a thing happening, but then three weeks later it happens exactly like that. Is anyone else having this? I'm listening to Alex Jones. It seems like he's having that. So, guys, we have to just carry on here. So what do we do? We're going through the, the whole exposure of, these, of this reporting and these documentation and this information coming out. And it, it's crucial that it comes out. We've got to get this out. We've got to make this story the story. This is the thing. This is the thing itself. This is the corruption and the depraved coup d'etat of the globalists and the United Nationists and the Obama worshippers, right? As they try to gut 
and cut the throat of America on every level. In the classroom, so in 10 or 20 years, so I can expect to be a whole army of degenerate, perverted, confused, gender, dysfor- gender dysmorphic, little psychos running around, right? Willing to throw themselves on the, the gears of American freedom and liberty and, and burn the system down for their, their Soros and Marxist and World Economic Forum masters overseas who serve London and Rome, right? No, we, ha- we got problems. We have to remember who we are. We gotta stop apologizing for the fact that the entire backbone of human civilization for thousands of years has depended on heterosexual relationships and couples to raise the strongest, smartest, most capable children that they possibly could before they died. And that's how you have Obama. That's how you have all these people walking around ready to, to cut off babies in the womb, right? I mean, what about the baby in the womb? What, I mean, I, I keep hearing about these women talk about their vaginas, wear vagina hats, talk about how it's nobody's choice, but it's their vagina, it's their body, and they can orgasm any kind of way they want. But then when it comes to the baby in the womb, who's also a woman, right? The little baby in the womb who's a little girl who doesn't even get a chance to even breathe air or see daylight or even have a chance to decide if she wants to have a baby or not. What about her rights? What about the rights of the unborn? So you know that those are children. We can see the picture. Okay, it's not back in the day when we didn't have the uh, the ultrasound, the super the super high pixelization of the picture of the and you have the, the ultrasound technician sitting there with you and showing you oh look it's your baby your baby's asleep your baby's sucking the baby little baby thumb oh look your little baby is blinking its little baby eyes and when you kill that human you're a murderer you know what you know, you know what we should do from now on if you if you need to have an abortion and you hit the abortion button we're just going to fix you all right we're just going to bring you in and clip you you don't even need to have any more babies that are going to get murdered in the womb, okay? You can go out there and hump everything you want. You can hump all day. You can get inseminated by all the, you know, like the one woman who goes on there. She's on Twitter talking about, I've had 24 abortions. Like, you don't know how that works yet, you fucking murdering sick sow. You disgusting fucking sow. You don't know how that works? You don't know those are human being lives right there? I mean, what about that woman? She can't rewind the tape back in her own mind and think about, well, when I, I was a baby in my mommy's belly, I mean, and I wouldn't want to get snipped right? I'm enjoying having all these fucking orgasms and, 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 and she has the joy of sex and the joy of life, but she doesn't want to share it, right? Not to any woman baby or man baby, no babies. It's my body and I'll, I'll use it as a, a vessel to commit murder all day, right? No, these, these women are not women anymore. Like we were saying in the other episodes, these, these women have given up their right to be women, right? They, they're not mothers. They don't have any children, they're just riding around trying to see who they can hump their fucking genitals on. They're just men, right? They're just men. They don't want to have anything from it. They just they just want it to they just want their womb to open up and give give a burst of cl- of air. Poof. No, no baby. Right? The, the, their their vagina is just a fuckhole to fuck. Right? They they've made their bodies into a a mechanism to please man's dicks. Not any one man in particular, but just all the men in general. They're just a fuckhole that it serves dick needs, right? It, it, the fuckhole doesn't produce anything. It doesn't actually have a baby out of there or start a family or it, the, the fuckhole doesn't stay faithful to one man. Oh, no, no, no. This fuckhole just serves the pumping, orgasmic fuck action, the humping needs, right, of men. That's all it does. That's what these women do. They're, they're just fuckholes. And, and in the process of a bunch of babies get murdered in there, I mean, let's, I mean, nobody wants to smell the smell of the rotting, fetid sewer of the death chamber canal of the, the vaginal death canal there right I mean, it gets smelly i mean all the dead babies that were in there but the, the, the men who, who are using the women that way 
and the women who are murdering the babies that way, they're, they're all going to the same place. They're, they're all just vanity. They're just, they're, the, they're just like a little fog in the morning. And then the sun comes up and it just disappears. That's, that's, what, that's what these people, they're just going to disappear in time. They're completely useless rodents, like, like the mosquitoes, right? They're, they're the existential equivalent of a human mosquito where they're just completely useless, right? They just go around narcissistically flailing around their body parts, Right? They don't. They don't actually going to use their body parts for their intended purpose. Right? Their their, their breasts are not going to actually wean and nurse any children. Right? No, of course not. The, the, these women are just there to you know use their bodies pornographically to allure men, all for the purpose of some useless, meaningless fornication in order to become a mechanism for baby murder. Right? Useless, bastardized baby murder. And then they want to actually like look at themselves in the mirror and pretend like they're real people. They're going to go hold up a sign outside that says, ban white men. <laughs> yeah. Because they know, they, they know what's going on in life. They know what the big game is. They know what they, they know, they know what they stand for. They have meaning, right? They have real substance. So this is the other side, right? This is the other side who we're having to fight against. And it's sad that we have to fight against them. But it's like, it's like when the immune system comes into play and destroys a sick and and dangerous looking little pathogen that's coming in to ruin the ruin the uh the biological environment there and that the immune system is going to kick in and just destroy that and get rid of it that's that's what we need to do our, our emotional and moral obligations our sense of duty to our nation and to our parents and to our children because we actually have children if you're listening to this you have children right or you you would have you you could hold a child and not look at like it like it's some kind of disease but because a child is the future. A child are the, the future individuals who are going to be manning the planet when we are dead and gone. And so all these individuals who refuse at a young age foolishly to have any children will regret it later because it'll be a deep, agonizing, searing pain within your soul later when you realize you, you passed the point. Like right now, you can still do it. You know, you, even guys out there who, who maybe got the snip, you could unsnip. You can still be productive. You can still have a baby. You can have this little sliver of your own soul, a little shard of your own soul and hold it close to you and share it, share all, everything you've ever learned with it and share all your love and leave someone behind when you leave this earth a little piece of yourself to carry on to still be you it's the eternity of your soul it's the expression of the in the immortality of the human soul to have children and when you don't do it you're killing your own future line and your own future bloodline are you ill what is wrong with you have a chance take a chance do what you have to do have children have some children guys stop being such cowards stop believing all the the mantra that just leads you to this end place where you just the old lonely person who's ready for the hospice because no one never had a marriage never took a vow never had a, a one that you you swear to hold for the, your whole life right never had a, a child doesn't know what it's like to to have people that you care about more than yourself right just an empty useless really truly useless eater that's what you and the left are becoming you progressives and look at your children carefully. Make sure that they can grow up to be natural, healthy individuals. Because if you fill their head with all that Marxist bullshit, you're going to raise such deranged and emotionally damaged individuals that they'll never have a healthy relationship. Right? That's, that's what really screws people up, is leftism and progressive politics. And the denial of everything natural and beautiful about the humanity and the human race. And we are a human race. We're not some kind of sub-races. Right? I'm just sick of hearing about all the, the different races. There's not different races. We're one human race. I mean, I mean, how ignorant do you have to be, right? This this whole idea. We looked a little different. We're from different people. We have we have different ancestries and tribes. Okay, and different tribes and ancestors of the same human family, the same human race. There isn't a diversity of races. That's stupid. 
and it goes back to this theosophy, right? You're going to go back to the, the United Nations Theosophical Society and their magic and all their sorcery, right? Where they, they believed utterly that there was all these ancient root races 50,000 years ago, right? If you go read Helena P. Blavatsky, Helena Petrovna Blavatsky, one of the, the founding lights and the, the occult sorcerers and the magicians who was really behind all the strange uh, witchcraft at the foundation of the United Nations. And the whole process of having the Theosophical Society, of course, if you look in the background, there's high-level Freemasons all in the background there, helping things along, helping the foundational key aspects of the development of the, the Theosophical Society. And of course, they would be shown to be charlatans and weird, like, carnival barkers in the end. But during the time, they had everyone's imagination and they held everyone's belief that they could somehow reach the Akashic record, right? They could they could dial into the white brotherhood and to the, the higher level order of, of masters, the sacred masters, right? The white masters up on the high mountains far away. So we're going into the uh, into the superstitions and the imagination and the, 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 the level of ignorance and the darkness and the abyss of, of a lack of knowledge of the American people and, and the world, the people of Europe and England too, right? And of course, this is where it's really being fixated. So the ascended masters, right? The, that's what uh, Helena Blavatsky and Alice Bailey, they, that's who they would pray to. And that's who they would uh, spend all their time trying to convince everyone that they were getting uh, special letters and special messages from. And over the course of time, they convinced everyone in this whole new biblical structure of antiquity, right? This, this new Bible knowledge where there would be these, these ancient races. It reminds me of Mormonism, right? When they had Jesus go and arrive in America long ago when there was these battling races of Indians who, who would murder each other. And there was the good Indians and they had light skin and there was the bad Indians and they had black skin, right? It's just bizarre. Like you go into these people, you go back in the 1960s and 1870s, these people were totally fucking weird. They were totally out of their minds and they were totally sick with this putrefying occult witchcraft and sorcery that's just no knowledge, right? There are no root races. That's all bullshit, right? And you can see if you move up through the course of time that the biblical structure of antiquity, the biblical accounts of the Tanakh, right? And the Torah and the New Testament, the Old Testament, the Chronicles and the Book of Kings, right? All those literary structures and literary places and dates and names and historical points are all totally validated. You can't validate anything that these Mormons said. There's no, like, golden book, right? Golden book of ancient Egyptian language that the uh, the American Indians we speak, right? That's all bullshit, right? We have to start to admit that this is bullshit. These people in there, I don't know if they have to admit it or not. They don't have to ever come to a final admission that their whole religio-cultic system of esoteric knowledge is Gnosticism and it's totally, completely fictitious, right? Let's just admit it. You're into fiction, guys. Same thing with you Pope worshipers over there in the Roman church. This is America. Let the Roman church be in Rome and the American church be in America. And let the never two shall ever meet, okay? So if you're a Pope worshiper, you're, you're, you're in this group. You're in this group of esoteric witchcraft sorcerers. I know, I know you don't think that. I think you, you're turning the body and blood of the, the bread into Jesus and I'm going to eat it, right? You, you weird cannibals. You transubstantiationalists, right? You, you believe in something that's totally ignorant and totally idiotic and totally profane. And you're carrying it on because your ancestors taught it to you and, and then you know, you, I guess you have to try to teach it to your kids and, and of course your kids are going to become marks they're going to be they're laughing in your face they're going to join Hamas 
I'm not going to set off a bomb because you are empty. Your religion is empty and has no power. It has no meaning. It has no oracle of, of truth. It has no light, right? Go back and all the canon laws of all the, the Jesuit provinces and go, go through it all, right? It's all just about total, absolute drive to power. That's it. That's what the Holy Alliance and the Congress of Vienna was about. They were pissed. They had fucked up. The abuses of the Inquisition went way too far for centuries. And they murdered millions of people. They started murdering and burning people at the, at the stake in South America. Who didn't even know what Europe was. Never heard of Rome. Ah, let's burn them at the stake, right? All over Mexico. Inquisitional fires burned people alive. The abuses of the Inquisition are beyond what you can possibly imagine. Because you're not read. What do you read? The Wall Street Journal? You're just a bunch of ignorant fools. You don't know what's coming. You don't understand that the, the horrors and the atrocities of World War II under Stalin and Hitler, seeming adversaries. So you have all these seeming adversaries everywhere working together. And so you have Hitler and Stalin bringing back the Inquisition, bringing back the ideals and the abuses and the absolute arbitrary torments and tortures of the Roman and Spanish and other various European inquisitions. They brought it back to, to real life and they brought it back in an, an industrial scale with IG Farben right? They didn't bomb IG Farben plants over there. Oh no, they avoided that. It's all part of their, their inner struct, their inner system of power. All right. So guys, we're going on and on here, but we are going to point out here that the abuses of the Biden and Obama presidencies has become so great. And they're trying to keep all the motives under wraps, right? Keep all the, the shredding, all the documents. They're, they're, e they're deleting and bleach bidding all the emails, right? But we, we can see what they're doing. All right. We're smart. We're, there are hundreds of millions of Americans in this country, and we are depending on this ship of state, this nation, this huge inflatable raft, life raft that we have in the ocean here of history. We, we are depending on this for our very survival. We cannot have these Marxist traitors destroying our nation with no answer, with just cowardice, with just people, oh, I don't want to be fired, driving out our, our military, driving the, our, our military operators out of the military, creating dissension within the ranks, Right? These people are absolutely out of control and they have got to be held accountable. The entire cabal, the entire phalanx of traitors, they're going to destroy us guys or we're going to have, have to find a way to work out on how to route them out of government and hold them accountable and put them in chains, put them under charges. It's time for the justice to come. I used to kind of like wince when, when Donald Trump would talk about executing drug dealers. Well, I'm with it now. You know what? I don't care about that anymore. That's the least of our worries. Let's start up the executions. Let's let's start to hang people for if you commit treason against this nation, we'll hang you. How about that? If you go and try to speak to a child and pervert them about sexual topics that are none of your business in a fifth grade classroom, how about we hang you? How about if you rape a child in Florida, how about we hang you? How about that? How about we just bring? I mean, you know what I'm saying? What what can go wrong? Maybe a couple people will get hung who shouldn't. I don't care. I don't care because the, the, the word needs to go out far and wide. Don't touch a kid. And we need to do something about these schools. Are they protected? I think about what happened to these, these communities in Israel when they were just suddenly attacked by thousands of men with guns going into these communities and just suddenly within hours murder and rape and brutalize and kill thousands of people. Can that happen in America? I mean, our yellow buses? I mean, how many different weird Hollywood movies are we going to, you know, see uh, the Joker show us how easily we, the, the yellow buses could, could cart away kids and, mur and have kids murdered. We did protect our schools, guys. I have a bad feeling. I have a bad feeling about that. I have a feeling that we're going to need to have armed guards positioned around our children at all times. That's what I feel about it. 
So there you go, guys. I don't want to belabor this and just have to go around in circles here. But you can see at this point, we're basically full contact at this point. I mean, this this conflict here in America, if we don't, if we're not able to preserve a republic, if we're not able to stop the steal in 2024, you can look at uh, Laura Loomer. She, she already has video showing how these Eritreans and people from all over the world are coming in here to do everything they can to try to vote in our elections. And I think that's just part and parcel for, of the whole plan here that we're witnessing. And if we're not able you know, to stop people, if, if Arizonans are not able to you know, fire their weapons and shoot to protect their own, their own uh, homestead and their own uh, front door and their own hearth, right? Then we have major problems in this country that are, are not being worked out by supposed law and order. And it, and it doesn't, the, the justification for the consent of the people is gone. And, and so now that transforms the police and, and sheriffs into kind of marauding uh, enforcers of tyranny, depending on where you're at. I guess it goes county by county. Some counties are going to be blessed to have a righteous man who still know what the Constitution is. But these other places are going to be the enforcers of Nancy Pelosi, the enforcers of Gretchen Whitmer, the enforcers of, of, of Kathy Hochul up there, right? all these in, uh, law enforcers at the, the tip of the spear and the point, you know, the, the, uh, the, the barrel of their gun, which, which they will enforce these insane, unfolding globalist United Nations policies. The unfolding, slow democide and the slow coup d'etat of American, uh, the, the once great American nation is uh, unfolding before our eyes. So I, I don't want to carry on too much more with that, but I just want to say ultimately that um, we have to stick together. We have to, nations that, that pray together stay together. And I think we should um, do our best to support those in our community. Because of this, this global catastrophe is going to cause us to need to think and act and to put down roots locally here more than ever. So we have a few more things we have to turn to. And right now we'll pitch over to the war room and hear their perspective, which is always necessary and insightful. Just give me, give me your, let's walk through, because we'll take some time here today. We're going to have some people tucking in and out, but just give us your theory. we got about six minutes, seven minutes in this block. Give, give me your theory of the case. You just take it and run with it. What is Mike Benz's theory of the case of what has happened to our beloved country? Well, there's basically an immune system of permanent Washington, which is comprised of the, you know, at the top, you have the foreign policy establishment, the national security state, the corporate and financial donors and drafters off of it, and the political opportunists on both sides of the political aisle. Uh, and, and, you know, the, the way that I essentially see that the framing of this issue uh, is the, the managers of the American empire versus the citizens of the American homeland. We, we've had for, you know, uh, since we became an empire, you could argue in 1898 when we won the Spanish-American War and took the Philippines and became this overseas empire with territory to protect. And uh, you could argue even going back to 1823, you know, with the Monroe Doctrine and, and uh, our, our forays into, into Latin and South America, that, that American industry was, was always sort of an international enterprise. And, and you do need a full-throated, red-blooded, brass-knuckled foreign policy establishment to be able to protect U.S. national champions who have businesses abroad. The issue is, is uh, even though that was effectively magical for America to develop its, its middle class during the 20th century, uh, by the 1990s, globalism started to break down 
as our manufacturing miracle was reduced to a rust belt, as the Chamber of Commerce companies that benefited so much from globalism under the protection of the Pentagon, the State Department, the CIA and other intelligence agencies, as there began to be a split between the welfare of our globalist institutions and the, uh, and the citizens of the nation that they were supposed to be trickling wealth down to and, and serving at the, at the electoral level, uh, there became essentially the growth of populist opposition, which is, you know, populism is not a dirty word. Populism is the recourse to corrupt or to, institution, to institutions that have uh, gone astray. And the issue, as I see it, is not Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. Those are things that, that can turn with, with the tides. What we have right now is a foreign policy establishment which is imbued with a department of dirty tricks, things that they are that we've, we've allowed them for a century to do abroad to foreign governments and foreign citizens and, and foreign institutions, apologies, um, uh, turning that inward. And so you have the foreign policy establishment against populism, both here and all across NATO, uh, in, in the UK with the Brexit folks, and in Italy with the Matteo Salvini folks, and Spain with the Vox Party, and Greece and Germany with the AFD party. Uh, this is, you know, all across the board, there's been a rise of, of populist groups, also on the left, I should add. Uh, and in each case where they are threatened by the foreign policy establishment, the democracy has now been uh, effectively completely destroyed because you have an immune system such as a, a Justice Department that will be weaponized to arrest any populist leader who rises to power or a lawfare system that will bankrupt them, uh, police who won't protect their, their meetings. You have uh, the silencing all across social media, gag orders placed as they're being uh, put on trial so that they can't even defend themselves. Uh, their lawyers being arrested. Uh, you know, Steve, you being targeted. It's, it's one of these things where there was always um, the, the relationship between the, the managers of the American empire and the citizens of the American homeland is broken down. And that has played itself out in the story of the censorship industry which I really see as my mission uh, for the story to tell. Now, the censorship industry, you're saying, is actually an offshoot of, it's a combination of the administrative state, the actual functions of national security and intelligence and law enforcement in the American administrative state and big tech outside, correct? It's a combination. It's a private, it's a public-private partnership. It's a great way to put it. Yes. You know, now, the term that they use is whole of society. There's a whole of society counter mistis and malinformation network that they uh, now this is this is their terminology. And what it what it means is it takes four separate classes of institutions, federal government agencies, private sector companies, civil society institutions and media and fact checking groups and has them all working as a synchronized network to be able to censor emerging narratives or political groups who, who essentially pose a political challenge for the foreign policy establishment. And those those private sector institutions, I mean, this, I, mean I can go on at that length, but I'll look like you were going to... Yeah, no, hang on for one second, because I want to I want to take it. We're going to take a break here and come back. I want to break it down. I want to talk about CPAC. Uh, we... TNUSA.com slash Ben. Make sure you take action on this today. This IRS grind is only going to get much worse. You created a bit of a firestorm in Washington this week when you sounded the alarm about the national security threat related to a Russian anti-satellite weapon. 
The New York Times is now reporting that the concern is whether Russia might put a real nuclear weapon in space. Based on the intelligence you have seen, how serious is the threat? Well, the, the threat is very serious. Everyone who's looked at it uses the same language that, that I have, that it is a very serious threat. And I, I'm, very, I'm very glad that the administration is beginning to take action. Uh, we met with Jake Sullivan. Okay. This, this, guy, this guy is a total, complete liar. Okay, he did this. This is all about his buddies in Ukraine. He had just been over there seeing Zelensky rubbing up on, you know, rubbing up on Zelensky. Uh, this was all to try to scare this audience and say, oh, gosh, you know, maybe we should give the 60 billion to Ukraine. Benj, you see this all the time. This is a perfect example of using a useful idiot like uh, Turner to put out what the deep state wants to put out because the deep state's got so many dark secrets in Ukraine that they got to keep the grift going. Are people, if they don't get the money, they're going to start spilling the beans, bro. So walk me through the Turner incident of last week is a classic example of what you warned us about. Yeah, well, this is really the GOP civil war between the, the, the populist and the globalist side of the GOP playing out in real time. You know, this is, uh, this is why we were I was sort of teeing this up in the last segment on this is not Republican versus Democrat or conservative versus liberal. It's foreign policy establishment versus populism. You see, there's uh, the, the, the U.S., the, the GOP for a century now has essentially drawn its political strength and its representation in Washington as being essentially uh, sponsored by military energy and chamber of commerce backers. That is, the, the military industrial complex was primarily a Republican institution uh, in, the, in, in the 20th century uh, you know, with the, our, our are essentially our production facilities in California and uh, and, and Texas, and, and you had the energy, the oil and gas uh, companies, which were the largest companies in the world for for the 20th century, and, and until big tech essentially matured uh, in the 2010s, all the major uh, you know top 10 market uh, size corporations were oil and gas companies, and you had the sort of chamber of commerce uh, blue chips. That primarily supported Republicans because Republicans were for low taxes, they were for free markets and free enterprise, uh, and they exported those values abroad, which meant that there was a powerful Pentagon, State Department, and intelligence apparatus to be able to ensure territorial control over resources uh, in countries who were exercising resource nationalism that might box out uh, our big oil and gas companies or our or private companies selling goods goods and services to foreign markets. And that was something where there was, I think there was some synchronicity between the, uh, the globalist and the, and the nationalist side of the GOP during the 20th century, again, until globalism really started to, uh, to erode that, uh, that synchronicity. And, and what you have now is the, the major party establishment in Congress for the GOP is still on the, on the globalist side. But you have this growing faction, and by far the most popular faction at the base level, uh, that is for populism. So again, you have this divide where you, know, you, you, have, you have Turner representing essentially the managers of the American homeland, and you have the populist side of the GOP representing the people who live here, the, uh, I'm sorry, the 
Turner representing the empire, essentially, and the populace representing the homeland. Yes. And you have this divide where now there's there's so much money that goes to the managers of the empire, and none of it comes back home to us. You know, we have what twenty trillion in debt, and uh, our, our PISA scores are falling way behind even second world countries. Uh, El Salvador has a better murder rate than than any of our major cities. Uh, it's you know we're we're falling apart, and the people and and what remaining wealth that we have is being used to go straight into the coffers of peoples whose whose interests are all international, not actually for the people who live here. And so you know the issue is is Washington is controlled by the empire forces, not by the forces of the homeland. And you know Trump's election in 2016 was really the the first time that the foreign policy establishment had its uh, had its, its back broken at the electoral level by by a populist surge. I think they would have done this to Bernie Sanders too, because he also wanted to roll back um, before he, I would say, bent the knee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He bent. He, he's all. T- it's a. It's a. It's a pillow fight with him. He took on the Clinton apparatus. Clintons were the epitome of this. The empire managers, right? Both Democrat, the Bushes and the Clintons. Those two apparatuses that have been involved in every election. I don't know for forty years. Is that Bernie Sanders? If you're gonna go, if you're gonna go for the king. You got to go for a head wound, and he, he just a pillow fight. He's a, he's a, he's a he just yammers on, yammers on, yammers on. Right, the Bernie Bros. Not going to do anything. Bernie Sanders is going to take on the deep state. You think Bernie Sanders is going to take on the administrative state? You need a beast. That's what Trump was. Trump went to beast mode. Okay, and the, and as you know, Mike, you were there, uh, and, that, and 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 this is why they had what I call the nullification project started immediately. This whole nonsense with the Russian collusion. Now we know. What twenty six of us? Twenty six of us were were not just targeted by Brennan, but Brennan then farmed it out to the Five Eyes, uh, to his Five Eye buddies, to make sure that uh, Trump's inner circle was completely monitored. Mike, just hang her for one second. I want to keep around. This is quite uh, profound. The the interview with Tucker was uh, landmark. If anybody's got the time, you definitely should watch it. It's incredible. We've got Mike Benz here. One of the officials from Trump's first term, and by God, got to be a senior uh, guy in the second term. So we're going to take a short commercial break. We're make make sure. Look, when we talk about the post-war international rules-based order, it's not just the national security state, but it's underpinned, as Putin was so nice to point out, by the U.S. dollar. So Mike Benz does pretty well for us there to make it clear that Washington D.C. is an asset of the empire forces. So as we said before, these empire forces can be, you know, esoteric and, and maybe hard to, to comprehend in all the, the covert action and the, the foggy and illusory world of the secret societies, papal knighthood orders and clandestine agencies and, and intelligence communities. And, you know, all the instruments of, the, of data collection of the five eye nations. And so, you know, when you combine, when you begin to combine all that and look at the, the totality of this globalist world structure, we all find ourselves to be, you know, Jason Bourne and the Bourne identity, right? And, and I don't know about you, but I, I'm not taking any kind of digital implant. I'm not going to take Microsoft's a digital ID. I don't care if they mandate it. I don't care if they come with bayonets affixed, right? I don't, I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn about what these people expect to turn us into cattle, have us, you know, all wearing little ear, ear numbers, right? These young people are aware... These young people are ready to wear ear tags shortly, you know? All these new seeming fads that seem to 
obsess our young people's minds. They're absolutely astonishing. And it's all we can do to get them through this gauntlet, this Marxist dungeon for your identity and for your mind, right? Your whole soul. You have to go through this teenage, awkward years of being a teenager anyway. And I have to go through this, this sickening societal ritual of trying to resist the, the forces of perversion, right? And all these young people can't do it. And then you have the, 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 no one talks about the ocean undercurrent of depravity and pornography. I don't know about you guys, but that should just be outlawed. I mean, it should just be totally illegal. And they should have to have a system of, you know, retina ID. You want to do some face scans. You want to get a, a, a chip in your hand. You want to do some, some implants. You should have an implant if you're going to regularly uh, be looking at uh, some really horrifying uh, pornography. I guess back in the day they had Playboy. I mean, that, that doesn't even count anymore. That's just more like modern art right I mean, we're talk- what we're talking about is going beyond the, the, any kind of notion these words you know they, they are like a they're like a bottleneck in our intellectual uh, ability to grasp what is a uh, to grasp and map out the world around us because the truth is this stuff is going way beyond pornography this is just some disgusting mental illness and sexual deviance being filmed and uh promoted around uh, on the internet so that people can uh I guess, get entangled with it, get addicted to it, get absorbed into it, and uh, I guess replace all human sexual health and functionality with, uh, with rubber blow-up dolls, right? And, and like, uh, I guess you can get your favorite uh, porn star. I guess you can get a mold of her, her vagina shape into some kind of like sexual toy that you can hump on your pillow or something, right? So what do you, need? you don't even need men and women anymore. You can just objectively... You could have the, uh, I guess you can just wear like a virtual reality Oculus goggles and hump your uh, your vagina mold in your pillow. And, you know, no women, I mean, no babies will be being born. And I guess there'll be no more abortions. So I guess that's, that's good, right? I mean, we, you know, but the point is, is that technology in, in the last decade and a half has interfered with human development and psychosocial functionality to such an extent now that I think we're being we're being atomized and dehumanized and these young people are, are young people today they, I mean how are they supposed to know how to manage this such a you know a change and I, I guess we're approaching this point of this technological singularity and suddenly we're we're you know kind of beginning in this stone age level comprehension of what the ramifications will ultimately be and you can see things out of proportion to traffic the strange, you know, right? The strange influx of people flowing from place to place, escaping here, trying to get into America, trying to get out of California, trying to escape New York, right? Escape LA, escape New York, right? No shit. So as we're going forward here, guys, I, I, this is going long, but I have to go ahead and introduce, I'm just kind of smashing it in here, this really crucial piece here. This is a crucial piece, and Yanya Kellick is, you know, he's... A living legend, right? I mean, come on. This guy's like Walter Cronkite. But I mean, Walter Cronkite isn't even Walter Cronkite anymore, right? I mean, what's... I mean, you know, Yanni Kellogg represents the new forces of honest press media. You know, in Epic Times, right? I mean, I paid Epic Times. Just for the joy of having a newspaper that is like... <laughs> it's like sincerely, legitimately, you know speaking the the language of sanity, right? It's just, it's crazy. Or at least reporting on stories that have substance and have meaning rather than just trying to brainwash me with propaganda messages 
uh, you know, and instill me with fear of, you know, of, of, and terror about viruses, you know. The media, the propaganda power of the, the Mockingbird corporate news media messaging system, right, is, is really the, at the core of our fight in these info wars. These info wars are about getting the, the fight to get real information that doesn't make you sick, that doesn't mislead you, that doesn't give you the wrong signal, right? And um, as we look at this report here by Yanni Kellek, we'll wrap up the program, but it's crucial that we recognize now how serious this fight is, how important it is for us to overlook so many other kind of really very minor differences that we have as Americans, super minor. And we're, we're per capita as a people, the smartest people, per populace as a nation, our great strength and our great strategy and our great wealth is how smart we are. And we have to give way to all kinds of different views, all kinds of different ideas, as long as people are trying to, with integrity first, do their best to actually arrive at the truth and arrive at a place where they're trying to understand and represent and journal the truth to such an extent that it's an accurate reflection of history that we can, that humanity and people in the future will be able to ultimately resort to in order to understand themselves better and understand where they're at in the world. And so if we have histories and journals and, and writings and political and public displays of political sloganeering and the bantering around of concepts and philosophical ideologies that are not honest, they're not sincere and only there to derange and bring the populace down and to cause harm and to cause problems and to get people fighting, right? That doesn't, that, that destroys the future hope of civilization as well. So it's time for us to put our big boy pants on and our big girl pants and to go out and do what's right. Even though we don't always agree about everything, we're going to defend each other's rights in America and we're going to go back to the way things were. We're not going to participate in this process and this entering into this crucible of annihilation and dialectical warfare that, that is so extreme that, that reduces us all to these particles in an atom, like blacks and whites, like plut, plut, neutron, neutrons and protons, right? Everything is a, is a color revolution. Everything is a color red versus blue, right? Everything is a, everything is a Super Bowl kickoff conflict where one team crashes their helmets into the other team at, at all times, right? So it's this constant synthesizing and destroying of American history. And, um, yeah, we have, to, we have to refound America. We have to refound our documents. We have to refound a lot of our, the statues they took down and maybe reapproach them historically in a, in a better way too, to represent the history more accurately in order to make sure that people can't say that those statues are racist statues or Confederate statues or whatever and to memorialize the past and to give way to the, the heritage of people who fought bravely in, in, a, in conflicts and wars that didn't necessarily we didn't necessarily agree with their ideas and had to fight them, you know? We had to fight each other. We had to fight ourselves. That's not something to just to kick dirt on. And we can't let these leftist idiots who were born yesterday tell us what history is, right? So we're going to return here to American thought leaders. And this guy, this particular gentleman here, and you'll hear the discussion, I'll have a link in there, is so instrumental, it's so crucial, it's so essential to understand that we're getting to this place where you know, we're going to have to take flack. Whistleblowers are going to get arrested. People are going to come out and start telling the truth. And we have to be prepared to hear it and understand it. And we're responsible, we're accountable. We can't just put our heads in a hole 
try to serve money masters or try to serve our bank accounts. Because pretty soon you realize that your bank account, especially when they start to tokenize money and digitalize it, the money's going to get real weird and, 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 and the purchasing power is going to dissipate to such an extent that when you build, spent your whole life to get yourself to a big pile of money and suddenly it doesn't buy what it used to, it's, you're, you're going to realize that you've been cheated slowly and you've been robbed slowly by inflation. And these, they, did the, they did this to us by having the ability to use the money first and get the value out of it and then kick it down to us. And it's, it's hard for people to comprehend how inflation is robbing them over time and how, it, how ineffective it is just to sit there at a job and pay your payroll taxes and collect a stub or get your salary check or whatever and pay your ridiculous amount of taxes to the government, you know, taking a quarter of your you know, income over your lifetime just to, to rob the rest of the savings you're able to keep with in, inflationary headwinds that are they're totally catastrophic. It's treason, right? It's treason on all, on all levels. It's such a large-scale treason that people can't even put their finger on it. They can't even name it. So here, let's carry on with this fascinating discussion that absolutely sheds light in the darkest places. So now I'm just going to hit you with the whole thing. There's really nowhere to cut the article. There's nowhere to really cut in and, and dial it down and end it. it. Just You have to kind of hear the whole piece. With that, we also have to remind you to go check our wonderful sponsor, wendyslimited.com. Wendyslimited.com is the boutique supremacy online, the hottest new styles and boutique couture for all the women in your life. So we just have to ask you again to go and support us, support Looking Glass Forum, support all of our, our different programs here. Come join the book hub, or, you know, come log in and get in a membership with us, send some emails and hook up with us so you can come and join and become part of our inner community, Skeleton Key 318. And that's uh, the private community of our book club there. And naturally, go ahead and make sure you go to wendyslimited.com and try out her awesome express boutique shopping service with a smile, where she has everything you need there with her limited catalog selection. 2024 is out. Go check it out. And once more, as we said, thank you for coming back to Looking Glass Forum. And here is Yanye Kellogg with the great American thought leaders. The Tucker Carlson Vladimir Putin interview. Okay, so so what do you make of Tucker Carlson going to Moscow to interview Vladimir Putin? I think any journalist should go meet any foreign leader and get whatever information or disinformation he can out of him, as long as he knows it's all an orchestrated setup on the other side. My thoughts almost exactly. So that's interesting. Putin's going to say what he will say, will have said, and. One can guarantee that he put his best propaganda people in charge of prepping him for a very long time. Um, so what do you make of, you know, suggestions that Tucker Carlson shouldn't be allowed back into the country? Or I haven't verified this, but having been put on a kill list by the Ukrainians, or what do you make of these types of things? That's, that's a great way for the Ukrainians to win support from people who are on the fence, you know, is to threaten to kill Tucker Carlson, really. What kind of lunacy is out there where they want to use either censorship or violence to prevent a journalist or commentator from interviewing a world leader? Any journalist probably should want to interview any world leader, you know, with the appropriate caveats that you mentioned earlier. It would seem a normal thing. Of course it would. I mean, who wouldn't want to interview Xi Jinping? Any international journalist would want to interview the guy. 
knowing that it's all set up. So before we dive into Big Intel, tell me a little bit about your background so we know, you know what, you, what you're coming in with here. Well, my background is kind of eclectic. I came in with a very favorable view toward the FBI and the CIA and our whole intelligence community as, as the fundamental instruments of our protection during the Cold War. The FBI mainly is counterintelligence against Soviet spies and agents of influence. Uh, CIA is the main instrument of containment of communism, or what we had hoped would have been. Uh, waging covert warfare at the sub-military level so that we wouldn't have to send our own troops in. Informing our presidents you know, with the finest possible intelligence gathered in the best manner, with the most solid you know, vetting and everything. And that's what I was expecting. What I saw was something very different coming in as a college undergrad. And so that's how I got into all of this. And I've sort of been looking in, still with a lot of contacts inside the system, but very alarmed that where any human institution is going to have its problems always, its challenges always. Uh, there was a breaking point in the FBI and the CIA where they stopped serving American interests. I mean, that's an astonishing statement, or maybe would have been astonishing some years back. Right now, there are many people, including myself, that are wondering how much that statement is true, because obviously it can't be entirely true, right? Right, right. It, you know, it's a generalization. Mm -hmm. But if you were to say, if it's, is it a yes or no issue, looking at it in a black or white way, it ceases to serve the American interest if they view themselves as states within a state if they cease believing in the real American founding principles. And they're there as the central government to protect all of us rather than servants of all of us. So it's flipped on its head. Of course they fight foreign spies. Of course they, you know, they're great at fighting human child trafficking within the country. They're, they're great at uh, fighting organized crime. They're, uh, you know, the FBI has done a lot. They've, they've protected us from international terrorism attacks. The CIA has been the world's best at this. There's no question. But there gets to, to be that breaking point where what are they protecting if they're full of people who don't believe in America anymore, the way it was founded, and the principles on which it's based, and they view half the country as potential enemies. So, you know, you entered, let's call it the system, you know, out of college. But tell me a little just about your career. It was never in the government. It was around the government. So starting out as an undergrad, I was approached when I was a student journalist, uh, ended up being a part of CIA Director William Casey's privately funded network to support President Reagan's policies against the Soviet bloc, to roll back Soviet communism. Didn't really know what I was getting into at the time, but, and I should have been quicker to figure out if, this, if you're told to go to church and sit in the back, and then the CIA director walks up to you and tells you a name, has somebody repeat the name, and he keeps going after one of his friends had given you walking around money to go on a trip with a CIA-backed insurgency against a communist regime. It took me a long time as a 21-year-old to put all that together, but in fact it was actually Bill Casey giving me my cryptonym at St. Matthew's Cathedral, and 30 years later I found he did that so that he would never have to testify before Congress what went on in church. Can you just flesh out a little more about what you actually did? Yeah, well, first I started out wanting to be in the CIA, to, to 
waged the fight, Reagan's fight against communism, and was told by a few people, my professor Jack Ziak and Angelo Cotavilla, who's you know really well known, who I knew as a Senate Intelligence Committee staffer, and he said, don't go in, you will hate it and it will hate you. It's not for the mission oriented anymore. Wow, and what year was this? 1983. So that's when I went in, went in with Casey's privately funded network, which it turns out he was funding it out of his pocket. Again, so he wouldn't have to tell Congress anything because it was his own money. It was his own business. We were just kids. We didn't know what we were up to. And we just went. And my job ended up being to collect intelligence in Central America on Soviet bloc support for the communist government in Nicaragua and for communist guerrilla movements elsewhere in the region. And at some point, you stopped doing this. Uh, I guess, was it at the end of his tenure? Or? It was before um, then. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I got married at the time and then went off and did other things. But I met a Salvadoran girl during the war. Uh, we, we had a family, but I kept going back and forth. And I still worked with the Contras in my own private capacity because I believed in their cause. And was working with the Salvadoran army in my own private capacity as well. And then went into journalism. I keep hearing this narrative repeated. This is kind of a, a narrative, let's say, on the conservative side, that mainstream media is actually just a mouthpiece for U.S. intelligence. You've heard this? Mm-hmm. What do you make of that? Some journalists are for some elements in U.S. intelligence. What we have is a symbiosis between the intelligence community and mainstream media and some investigative journalists who are chiefly on the left. And it's been this way since the, the 50s. You build up the careers of certain journalists at the, at the Washington Post, or the big, the big three networks that they used to have, or then CNN and, and certain websites now. You leak to them illegal leaks. It's illegal leaks of classified information. They become dependent on you, the intelligence officer or analyst or agent, as the source so they're not going to cross you. They're not going to say anything bad about your entity. They're going to protect you as a source, and then you're going to build them up in their careers. They're going to write books. The better ones are going to make a lot of money off these books. They might get some movies out of it. And so you're creating now a wealthy cast of journalists who are wholly dependent on the intelligence community as their sources of livelihood. And do you have a sense of how prevalent that approach is? Anybody can tell. If you read intelligence sources say, or so-and-so has received you know, documents from the CIA, or unnamed intelligence officials say this, that means okay, unnamed officials are leaking to that journalist or to that news organization. So there's a favored relationship in there. Now, any good journalist is going to work sources in there, but not any good journalist is going to get a constant stream of leaks over a lifetime of journalism. You mentioned that this these relationships started in the 50s. I mean, you hear, you hear about Operation Mockingbird, for example, and so forth. But the thesis of your book is, you know, they went from war heroes to deep state villains, right? Or Cold War heroes to deep state villains. And so that started as early as in the 50s. Is that what you're saying? Or explain that to me. Well, that's when the CIA was founded in the Mm -hmm. early 50s. Right. And that's when the Cold War began. Now, on the one hand, it's important for journalists to know certain things. But it's also important for intelligence officers to obey the law and not leak classified information to journalists. 
and not pick favorites among journalists. So this is where, in the 50s, you had uh, uh, Alan Dulles, who was head of the CIA, and his brother, John Foster Dulles, who was Secretary of State. And they were very close to President Eisenhower. So there were times like with Khrushchev's secret speech, where mm-hmm. Nikita Khrushchev gave that speech to the yes. Soviet Party Congress to supposedly expose Stalin's crimes and to hold themselves all blameless for the crimes they also committed. But it was admitting that it wasn't just Stalin who was the bad guy, it was the whole communist leadership and international communist movement. And so it was. that's why it was a secret speech, because if the whole communist movement knew about it, just the different parties of loyal Soviet uh, agents and, and supporters around the world, if they knew, they'd be terribly demoralized. So when the U.S. got their hands on this speech, that had to come out. That was a great intelligence coup to get that speech. So how do you publish it? Do you have the CIA leak it? No. In this case, you had the Secretary of State release it as a State Department release, translated into various languages by the AFL-CIO, by a private entity that was allied with the U.S. and in waging the Cold War for distribution to uh, ethnic communities who didn't speak English or to to distribute abroad. So that's a good way of using intelligence in a non-manipulative fashion, not playing favorites with journalists and just getting information out there. So they knew how to do it right. But they also knew how to do Operation Mockingbird type activity, which was to run things through news organizations. With a specific agenda. Yeah. And when it becomes a political agenda, it gets even worse because then it's intervening in how Americans think about their own leaders, how they think about their own policies, and then you have unaccountable intelligence officials manipulating American public opinion and therefore American politics and elections through management of attitudes. You could briefly remind us for the benefit of the viewers, you know, what is Operation Mockingbird, if someone may not have heard of it, and, you know, some people suggest this is something that's still very much ongoing. So, well, we don't know what's ongoing, first of all, do we? So we don't know what kind of operations are continuing or what new ones there might be. So we know what's been declassified or leaked. So Mockingbird was was an operation to work through the press to influence public opinion. You capture journalists that way. It was very straightforward, but it was not just individual CIA officials leaking to certain journalists. It was an actual controlled operation that was run from the top and coordinated. And was that with the intent to seed specific narratives into society? Yeah, it was really to to wage the Cold War against the Soviets. Mm -hmm. But the way the CIA did it was they didn't support real anti-communist movements. They didn't build up anti-communist forces. They built up non-communist forces. Hmm. They built up the democratic left or even the almost democratic left or undemocratic left that wasn't totalitarian to keep them away from the Soviet-controlled communist parties and organizations and to bring them into the wider uh, spectrum of politics in whatever countries they were in. So you had the real anti-communists in, in Europe. You know Who were they? We don't know. It was all sort of moderate Christian Democrats and then anti-communist labor, because not because they were right-wingers, but because they viewed the communists as rivals in their faction t- to control the labor movement. So you had this building up of the international left while the Soviets were building up the international hard left at the same time, and that dramatically affected world politics and the way the world is today, and globalism for that matter, because it was they were both global movements. 
You know, you actually make a very interesting point because, you know, let's take the solidarity movement in Poland, which is perhaps one of the ones that I'm the most familiar with, right? There was a group of the solidarity movement, which was called Fighting Solidarity, Solidarność Walcząca. And uh, they were the only group, actually, which had the explicit mandate to be anti-communist, to basically seek the removal of communist governance or something like this. Whereas a lot of people today don't understand, actually, that Solidarity was a labor union fighting for workers' rights. Some people do, but a lot of people don't. How many people know about fighting Solidarity? You don't hear about it much. I'd forgotten about it. Right. Um, that that that's fascinating. Why? So explain to me, and of course this is this is you develop this quite a bit in in uh, Big Intel, but but explain to me why 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 were they not supporting anti-communist forces, but only so-called non-communist? That's a fascinating distinction to me. During World War II, we didn't have an intelligence service when the war was about to begin for us. It had already begun elsewhere in the world, but it didn't affect us really. But we had no foreign intelligence service. So the British came to the U.S. and said, hey, you guys really need a foreign intelligence service. Let us help you set one up. Seemed like a pretty good deal. President Roosevelt appointed William Donovan, Wild Bill Donovan, to set up what became the Office of Strategic Services. And that was our wartime intelligence service that collected and analyzed intelligence for the president and then ran covert operations behind enemy lines. So this is where young guys like Bill Casey were recruited. He invented the hedge fund, the, not the hedge fund, the, uh, um, the tax shelters mm. to get get a, help people get around Roosevelt's New Deal wealth confiscation. So you need guys like that who just know how to disrupt systems with minimal effort to be brought in. A lot of them were good anti-communists in general as, as well as anti-Nazi. But when you think about during the war, Bill Donovan's real goal with the OSS was, and the way he saw it, defeat the Axis enemy. He didn't see anything beyond that. Meanwhile, J. Edgar Hoover at the FBI, Donovan couldn't stand him and it was mutual, said, it's not just that. Stalin wants to reshape the world after the Nazis are defeated. We have to be cognizant of the fact that, that he's going to be manipulating us. And lo and behold, of course, Stalin was flooding the United States with his agents and assets and so forth, many of whom went into the OSS. So you need native speakers of these different languages behind Nazi lines and in areas we need to operate. Who are you going to get? Well, it was a lot of them were Communist Party members from those countries who had fled to the United States, Mm -hmm. some for refuge, some to implant themselves as agents. So this is where the Frankfurt School developed in the United States. We can touch that later on. For for the purposes of of our diplomacy and our covert operations, if you have left-wingers from Europe and communists from Europe coming in to the United States in the 30s, joining our intelligence services as subject matter experts and operatives, they're thinking of where they came from, and they're thinking, we want to shape that when it's done. So you have the Stalinists want to shape it on Stalinist lines, but then you have the Euro-Socialists want to have a socialist Europe emerge from this. This is not putting American interests first. Mm-hmm. This is defeating Hitler for whatever they want. So you have this left-wing pro-communist and left-wing anti-communist sections in our intelligence services, and then when the OSS was, abol- was abolished, many went into the State Department, and they shaped the policies that we that we're living with today. That's fascinating. Well, so you actually, you know, you 
I think you used this term right from Diana West, uh, the unbroken threat. Right? The red this threat. Idea, or sorry, the, the red threat. That's right. I'm actually, I, I interviewed her about that book years ago now. Um, she found some into- astonishing you know, disclosures around people who identified as communists very early on and so forth. You're, you're basically saying this: the, the seeds of this were there right from the beginning. Right. Before our beginning. So, yeah, it's one thing to say, well, these people on the left or these Soviet agents did something in the 30s and therefore things are the way they are today. You, that's not cause and effect to say that. So in writing Big Intel, I was looking really at what happened under Obama. How did the center just collapse within the FBI and the CIA? And it, they both got overtaken by wokeness. Who was responsible? When did it happen? Why did it happen? What are the original documents to prove that it happened this way? And then going and look back, well, where did that impetus come from? And where did it come from before that? So by going backwards, you find the Diana West's red thread, this intellectual chain of custody, going back without a break from person to person, all the way back to a 1922 meeting in Moscow, over 100 years ago, at the Marx-Engels Institute with the leaders of the Comintern, who was the Communist International. So this was a brand new international global entity that was set up by the Bolsheviks to control all the radical socialist and communist parties around the world, make them loyal to the Bolshevik Revolution, and then to replicate Bolshevism worldwide. But it was all a centrally structured command and control system for this. So they're meeting at the Marx-Engels Institute with their European, mainly, uh, agents, and the founder of the Cheka, or what became the KGB, Felix Jerzynski, to discuss how can we have a Bolshevik-type revolution worldwide? And the consensus was, well, we, we're not going to have workers rise up in a violent you know, worker struggle like Marx had called for, or even a violent revolution as had happened in Russia, because the workers are being paid too well. They're, they're, they're aspiring, or at least they have some kind of hope. We have to find a different way to do it. So a Hungarian Bolshevik named Georgi Lukács, who had been a minister, minister of culture in the Hungarian Bolshevik regime that had taken power just before the Soviets took power, didn't last long. But he, he was the strategist behind the red terror of his country to round people up and murder them based on their political and cultural views, to break up families, to break up churches, to break up any sense of moral tradition to sexualize children and separate them from their parents, break up nuclear families. This was a strategy of his. Sounds familiar. It Um, sounds familiar. He lived until 1971, and he was very active as a theorist and a revered figure on the left for all those decades. He was part of that red thread, but it was one of his ideas. He was the first to implement it. Karl Marx came up with it in 1843, five years before he ever wrote the Communist Manifesto. So he wasn't this economic madman who didn't know anything about economics, but became famous for the Manifesto and then Das Kapital. But five years earlier, he was a cultural warrior. Mm -hmm. He was writing about destroying pride in one's country, uh, uh, obeying legitimate laws, um, church, family, heritage, history, parents, all of these things were oppressive. Your country's oppressive, your just rulers are oppressive, your morals are oppressive, your religion is oppressive, your parents are oppressive, 
your siblings are oppressive. Everybody is oppressing you. And that was what he wanted to do to just rip society apart. That didn't catch on. So he got on to the, the Industrial Revolution troubles and the, and the terrible treatment of workers back at that time to try to then have economic conflicts become the engine of change. So this was revived after the Bolshevik Revolution at this 1922 meeting to set up a school in Germany where you could have all the intellectuals and trendy, beautiful people and trust fund babies looking to be cool and relevant and add a lot of Freudian sex stuff and drugs and and any kind of intoxication and just be cool and have a good time being revolutionaries to rip, rip society apart. At a time when Germany itself was ripping itself apart after its unconditional surrender after World War One, not knowing what direction it's going to go, and it didn't have a long history of unity as a unitary state anyway. So, so you had all these factions battling each other. So the cultural Marxists, backed by the Soviets, thought, let's just fight the Hitlerites last. We'll fight everyone else first, tear out the center of the country, and then we'll take over. Well, Hitler moved faster than they did. They fled. Many of them came to the United States with the help from a Soviet intelligence agent who negotiated with Columbia University for them to set up their Frankfurt school shop at Columbia University, which had a teaching school to teach the teachers who's fanned out across America, and to work with a certain John Dewey, who was head of the National Education Association, who went to the Soviet Union and wrote a six-part series in the New Republic praising Stalin's education system and designing a new education system to change how American children learn and how they view the world. I'm, I'm thinking about Yuri Bezmenov right now, because you know, Yuri Bezmenov, you know, there's a few videos of him lecturing that have been preserved talking about how a core, let's say the, the majority, I think he believe, I believe he says the majority of the uh, effort that the Soviet, I guess it's the KGB or, you know, so state security is, exerts is to basically um, subvert America versus gather intelligence or something like that. Bezmanov gets a whole chapter in Big Intel. So I went through those, those interviews and his lectures transcribed a lot of them so that they'd be now in print and not have YouTube suddenly make them all vanish someday. And he was such a, a wise figure of his time. These were interviews that took place 40 years ago. And just very briefly, if you can just tell us who, so who he was. He yeah. wasn't a KGB man. He was a Soviet propagandist under a journalistic cover based in India. But he knew the whole English-speaking world very well. So he defected to the United States, relocated in Canada, and then surfaced with this immense knowledge of how Soviet propagandists are trained and the whole philosophy and doctrine behind that training and the hows and the whys of that training to break down our societies piece by piece, to create confusion, to create demoralization, to cause us to lose faith in ourselves and everyone around us and everything that we ever believed was good and just to ruin us inside, to collapse us from within and to basically defeat us the way uh, Sun Tzu wrote, right? You defeat the enemy without fighting it. And this is what Bezmanov was explaining in 1983 and 84. I don't think a lot of people you know, understood it or were ready to grasp that this was something that was happening. Or I don't know, how, how was it received at the time? It was received by people who were ideologically anti-communist and allied with President Reagan. No one else wanted to hear the message. I would argue that our biggest 
threat at subversion. I think I could argue extensively about this. It currently comes from the Chinese Communist Party, which I know this is uh, something you know a lot about because we've talked about it in the past, both online and offline. And But it's not something that appears a lot in big intel. I'm curious about that. That's a whole separate book or separate lifetime of work to, to explore that. But I, I didn't focus on them in big intel because I was looking at, I was trying to answer how did the FBI and CIA become woke? Mm -hmm. Then I traced to Obama and then Obama's political lineage and the people all around Obama. The CIA director under Obama had voted for a Soviet agent to become president of the United States and knew that he was a Soviet agent. This is Gus Hall running on the Communist Party USA today. Right. And then three years later, he gets hired by the CIA. That's kind of a problem. Why? It, and it's not like he had an epiphany at some point to fight these guys. It's, it's He just sort of dismissed it and just went along. And even in his well, memoir where he admitted this, he, he never drew any lessons from it. He just said it was a, a lark as a young man. He didn't hide his ideological predilections as, as the, at the time that he was being hired into the agency, right? Right. If I recall correctly. So this was, I mean, I, that's what I, I, I found shocking, right? Because, well, what you do when you're, right? when you're, when you're interviewing for, the, for a mm -hmm. job with security clearance, especially in intelligence, it's, it's like confession, right? You admit all, all your dirt because they're going to find it out on you anyway. And if you're lying or obfuscating, then you're definitely out. So you admit it, and then they assess, well, does this present a danger to the United States? Well, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so, hello, but the, you know, he had just voted a few years earlier for the Soviets, and now he wants to be a CIA officer. It's, it's not like he's a defector from the Communist Party saying, I want to help the U.S. destroy this. It's, okay, I voted for Leonid Brezhnev's man to run America. His, he makes his career there. And then Obama makes him his Homeland Security Advisor at the White House and then names him to run the CIA. At the same time, another radical, General Clapper, who, you know, just because these guys wear uniforms and have stars and talk about my lifetime of brave service or whatever they say. No, he was, he was a known extremist throughout his career. His stories about him at the Defense Intelligence Agency back in the 90s, and I was close to people at the DIA at the time, and I heard them firsthand then and collected more since. He was protecting the worst elements in the DIA. Even He even protected the group of, of female Latin America analysts at the time uh, who were outwardly pro-Che Guevara. They, one had a Che Guevara poster at her, in her cubicle, not as a trophy, but as a sort of a shrine. But one of the people he was protecting was Annabelle and Montes, the Cuban spy. Now, I'm not alleging he knew that she was a spy, but I am alleging that he was protecting openly radical extremists who were intelligence analysts there. He, he gave Pentagon passes to the Russian GRU military intelligence resident, the chief of, of Russian military, Soviet and Russian military intelligence here in Washington, a Pentagon pass to go around unescorted. Who on earth would do this? He had the authority to do that. Mm -hmm. So these are the people who make their way up the system, and somehow they all coalesce under Barack Obama at the top of the intelligence community. And then they reach down into the system to bring up those who, who came in from below and put them in middle management and upper management. 
but couldn't do it on their merits a lot. So that's where diversity, equity, and inclusion comes in to pull them up for other criteria. Mm. And lo and behold, you have now woke people running the entire nerve center of the CIA. Well, so this is very interesting because one thing that, you know, from lots of discussions with people who have been studying this or, you know, trying to expose it, is how, how DEI actually works. It essentially, you, there's a kind of a coded language, if you will, if you speak the language and you put it, put it into your applications, everybody who is involved knows exactly what it means and knows what team you're on. And that's, I guess, you know, whether you're a true believer or someone who's just kind of figured out the code, right, and, and how to game the system, because I assume it's, uh, it's, it's, there's a lot of that. Right, right. Like, the, you know, not, not to mention any, but for example, people who would identify themselves as being uh, uh, some sort of visible minority or part visible minority when in fact they're not because they knew that that would get them with the right language, you know, more opportunities. Yeah. Right. And as long as you're able to self-identify as what you're not, you can be advanced because your ideology is right. But I mean, look what this does to truth. If you can say, if you say that you're a gender or a sex or a race or a whatever that you're not. And people are forced to believe that you are. They have, and they can't just agree that you are. They have to really believe that you are. Because that's part of it is like Winston in 1984. Mm. He, two plus two equals five. You can't just say it. That's not good enough. You have to believe it. So like the FBI had a, had a training program in 2021. Mm -hmm. I got the 56-page slide presentation for it that's devoted a whole chapter to it on uh, gender and the importance of gender because now uh, DEI is what FBI Director Ray calls a core principle also in the CIA. And the CIA has said this on their own literature that's unclassified. So these become the core issues and if core operating principles and even the FBI recently sent out on X a message that uh, DEI ranks on par with the U.S. Constitution as a core principle of the FBI. But here's the thing, though. When you believe that, that a man is not a man or a woman is not a woman and it's whatever gender they say they are, and you must believe it, and your professional future depends on it, what does that do to honest assessment of evidence as a crime fighter? or as an investigator. What does it do to intelligence collection and assessment and the, and the evaluations that we do for our, the national leaders of the country within the community if facts are no longer facts? Well, it's like everything is subjected to an ideological test, basically. And who did that before? Hmm. The Soviets did it. The Chinese Communist Party does it. So here we are in a post-fact intelligence community driven by social, political, cultural agendas that have their direct origins back in cultural Marxism spawned at that 1922 meeting with Felix Jerzynski in Moscow. The Republican Congresses have been funding this stuff, so it's not like it's a, it's a partisan issue. They go along with it because it must be important if the FBI is doing it or the CIA is doing it, but if you look at what they're doing, it's important to have whoever's the best person for the job. I don't care where they're from or what they do or what they their personal life is like, as long as they're not threats to national security and they're the best people for the job. That's what you want. And you need to have the FBI trained in, okay, how do you work in certain cultural groups and subgroups 
because you have to be trusted as an investigator. You have to be make a, a, a coherent case before a jury. You need to work in those communities to understand. That's fine. But what they're doing is they're making our own FBI agents and CIA officers what they call agents of change to change our culture. This is not legal. This is not what the intelligence community is for, but that's what they're doing. What portion of these services do you think is, you know, thinks that way, I guess, is the question. It's tiny. So in the FBI, it's about 1.6% are what the FBI now defines as LBGTQAI+. They keep changing it, so I it might have switched again. 1.6%, according to the FBI's own figures. So the FBI isn't as diverse as it pretends to be. And, and not all that 1.6% wants to shove this down everybody's throat. Just a fraction of that wants to. So you have a militant, tiny group that's within the Bureau pushing this. And then they end up being in the nerve center and then being the political enforcers within the Bureau. So according to this 2021 FBI training course, if you misgender somebody a third time, that's a mark against you professionally, and that will affect your promotion. Almost every system, right, in in Western society, um, it seems to have this the same structure that you're describing, right? A very small group of people that sort of says, "Yes, this is the right thing we're doing," um, and, and a very tiny, ultimately a very tiny group of people behind it, but wielding great energy and effectively power and everyone else kind of going along with it with a few you know defectors and people who who don't like it and do so openly so think of it from a cultural marxism side you've got the ideology of cultural marxism and the critical theory is the is the intellectual um structure the theoretical structure for how do we process things so you don't need to know the ideology if you're trained to think a certain way or we can't say that. That's racist. You can't say that. You're you're a misogynist for saying, well, I'm not. No. And then you want to overcompensate for that so you won't be called that again. So the whole object of cultural Marxism is to cause us to lose confidence in all our institutions. Mm. So it's not just the FBI. It's not just the CIA. It's not just government. It's medicine. Think of it. You can't trust your doctor anymore. You can't trust the pharmaceutical industry anymore. Now, there are many reasons why we should be really skeptical and, and concerned, but when it gets to the point where there's a total lack of trust, what becomes of us? Well, exactly. So let, let, let's use an example, okay? Because I'm, I'm thinking of one in particular. You know, you've just mentioned these policies that, you know, Director Christopher Wray, right, of the FBI has instituted and made a, you know, kind of a top priority of the agency. And you've just explained why that is highly problematic. At the same time, you have Director Ray testifying in Congress about the Chinese Communist Party's, well, one infiltration of American systems to, you know, cyber, basically cyber tools set up to not just gather intelligence, not perform military activities, but actually harm civilians. Um, and and this is the testimony, right, that, that, that he's giving. I, I believe that that testimony is accurate based on our own information. However, you probably have, and apparently for good reason from what we're discussing, a whole bunch of Americans out there doubting, maybe doubting that this is real because of other things the FBI has done that have proved to be, uh, well, false, frankly, and, and, and contrived. 
So, you know, this what you're describing, it's, it's, it's a huge problem, but there's also this important role that's being played, right, by the agency. And I'm, you know, and I'm very glad that Director A was able to publicly testify to these things because this is this is a type of reality that we need to be incredibly concerned about, right? So I, I'm trying to figure out how we kind of square this because we kind of fall into the trap that the cultural Marxists want us to fall into. And we have reason to. Yeah, now if we know the trap is there, we can avoid the trap. Mm -hmm. But if we deny the trap is there or don't see the trap at all, then then we're getting pretty close to the end. So Mm -hmm. it was great to hear FBI Director Ray make that public warning about Communist China. And he specifically said Chinese Communist Party. I don't remember him saying it that way before. If he did, I missed it, but usually be the Chinese government or whatever. So it means the FBI is really on to something and they're devoting resources resources to this problem. And we've seen it over the past few years anyway. But just think, if there are nine senior diversity coordinators in the FBI, that's nine senior people who are not working against the Chinese Communist Party. That's nine senior people who are alienating most FBI personnel to comply with this crazy ideology and nine senior officials who are elevating people on DEI grounds who have no business being promoted in the first place. right it's now time for a word from our awesome sponsor wendy's boutique limited wendyslimited.com and uh, wendyslimited.com is offering the hottest new designer trends and brand name couture fashion styles so you have to hear about wendy's boutique wendyslimited.com wendyslimited.com now has designer women's apparel and fine jewelry sexy boutique fashions very best prices online and you know that at wendyslimited.com uh, they know what a woman is, what a woman really is, right? So if you're a beautiful woman or if you know a beautiful woman, and if you don't, stop listening to this show, okay? Right now, just stop. But if you happen to know a beautiful woman and you are a beautiful woman, you have to know about wendyslimited.com. So these are the, the sexiest boutique fashions anywhere, very best prices online, beautiful luxury products, guaranteed authentic guaranteed no chinese knockoffs ever so this is the real deal this is the real real the legit best prices hottest couture gear fragrances we had tom ford shades great deal on the tom ford shades everybody loves tom ford shades so you can expect to find gucci apparel hermes shoes Prada jewelry, all at wendyslimited.com. And you got to remember, wendyslimited.com is really now famous for canceling Balenciaga when it mattered, right? So we're not having any of that over here. This is a woman-owned enterprise, all-American, family-run organization, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com. you got to come join the craze. Hottest new designer trends, guys. Wendy's Boutique Limited, we need your support. And uh, she's been courageous to support the show, wendyslimited.com. So on the one hand, the FBI is is our first line of internal defense against Chinese Communist Party 
espionage and subversion. But on the other hand, it is it is wasting its resources on on its own cultural revolution internally. So that we can't trust them even when they're doing the right thing. Or at least we have we wonder if we can trust them even when they're doing the right thing. This is just damaging. Right. And then there's also the issue of focus, which I've talked about on numerous shows, right? If you're focusing on ideological tests for the local populace as opposed to identifying national security threats and neutralizing them, which you're also doing. But the focus, if there's so much of an emphasis on the first thing I mentioned and the second, you know, I would argue would be kind of the entirety of the of, of the mandate gets um, diluted. Yeah. Think of the people who would make the best counterintelligence officers, let's say, to work against the CCP. Is the rainbow flag trans agenda really a recruitment point to get that type of person to want to join and have supervisors who force them to go, go this route when they're Real mission in life is to go hunt down Chinese communist spies. Look at military recruitment. We can all see that. And look at the types of ads the military's been putting out to get sort of the, the most useless elements of 20-something society to join the military. And not the most useless elements of 20-something society to join the military. And not the real people who we want as real warriors to join the military, alienating them out. And then we have this terrible recruitment crisis. So then you take, you know, lowest common denominator, which is spelled D-E-I, and you focus your recruitment efforts on them to bring them up into the system for the sole purpose of making the FBI look more like America. A number of people have pointed out that, you know, the people that are, you know, disproportionately go out and frankly die for this country are these white males, which are now kind of, in the DEI system, they're the absolute bottom of the of the intersectional uh, hierarchy. Yeah, but even you know anybody who's mission oriented doesn't matter what kind of demographic they're from, they're not finding a home in the military or the intelligence community because the invitations basically say they're not welcome. One of the things that you catalog and in your book is sort of thoughts about how to deal with this because it almost seems intractable. It gets really discouraging if you just look at the problem and the problems are really severe. But if you have stage three cancer, that means you have hope. Maybe even if you have stage four cancer, there's still hope. So what can we do? First thing is the FBI's, so let's say it's politicized beyond repair. Let's just say that as a point of argument. What is it doing to harass or abuse ordinary Americans for political reasons, let's say? The FBI's eyes and ears on the ground at the local level are the state and local police and the county sheriffs. And the county sheriffs have a unique legal authority to determine whether or not or how federal agents can operate in that county. Now, county sheriffs are elected law enforcement officers. So this is an election year. So every county sheriff is going to be up for re-election this year. And there are other candidates who seek to be sheriffs. So this is a way for every citizen, when they know this, to say, how can we help you as sheriff to make sure that the feds don't come in and abuse us? 
Or how can we hold accountable if you're not going to be doing your job that way? So you're letting the sheriffs who are already aware, or the candidates, that they have the people behind them. And then you're letting other candidates know that they had better do their job to defend the people who elected well, them. Maybe you should explain a bit, like, what, what is it that sheriffs can do? Well, I, handle, I look at more of the federal part, but I've got two colleagues at the Center for Security Policy, Kyle Scheidler and Chris Holton, who work this all the time at the state level. And they're working with sheriffs nationwide and with state legislatures nationwide. But the unique thing is every single citizen has a say when they vote for sheriff this fall and during the campaigns. for this. And we don't normally pay attention to who's running for sheriff. We just click whatever, check whatever party affiliation we like and, and move on. But no, we just talk to them. Say, we've got your back. Or we don't like the job you're doing. What are you going to do to do it right? Sure. See, a lot of sheriff departments and, and, and local and state police are bought off when the federal government gives them all this stuff, like cool electronic gear and cool armored vehicles and cool automatic weapons and cool training. And it's really neat and really fun. But how does that protect the local population right, from abusive central government? Mm-hmm. So this is something that has to be an election issue for, for sheriffs. And it's one of the solutions. That's the federal but, but- I mean, it might not be obvious to people that a sheriff can take a stand against the FBI. You're not going to operate in my county if I think what you're doing is illegal. I'm the chief law enforcement officer in this county, and you're doing something here that's abusing the Constitution or arguably breaking the law. And even if you're not, and you can come in legally, I'm not going to help you. I don't have to. I I don't know if uh, this is a commonly known reality, what you're just describing. It was new to me until my colleagues brought it to my attention, but a lot of sheriffs know this already, and they're really glad when they know that other people are making others aware of it. A lot of sheriffs don't know. They don't realize it. And they're in awe of Washington, or they're afraid of Washington, or they're, they want that cool surplus military-type gear coming from them. Once you're bought in, you're sort of, you'll do, you know, the FBI field offices, hey, we need to send agents in. Can you help us? Can you be our eyes and ears? And that's where the sheriff can say no. Many of your solutions are sort of at the local, county, or you know, state-level activity. That's what my colleagues are doing at the Center for Security Policy, and they've written, go to securefreedom.org, and you can find their material. And they've been behind a lot of state legislative initiatives as well to help states grapple with this problem. So the states still, and the counties and cities and towns still have a lot of ability. It's just they don't realize it and the voters don't realize it. So that's the first part of it. The second part of the equation is you, you have a president come in who recognizes the problem but can come in with a real team that like and trust each other but, but have a real plan. They have executive orders written before Inauguration Day, a calendar to roll out those executive orders. So executive orders are are decrees from the president to to implement a certain policy or, or stop a certain policy or instructing different agencies to do certain things. Every president does it. It's, there's not a problem with that. The problem is when President Trump came in last time, he didn't undo Obama's executive orders. I think he's learned his lesson this time. But you need to have his own executive orders to repeal bad ones that are already there, which he can do unilaterally and then put his agenda forward through executive orders. And the, the by law, 
the federal agencies have to abide by that as soon as they are made effective, which would be the very day that they're signed. But where he did use executive orders in other areas of his presidency, he didn't try to implement them as laws even when both houses of Congress were on his side. So Biden then came in and simply repealed the executive orders and there was no law behind it. And then he just came in on day one with his team in place, with his executive orders to fundamentally transform the government. Reagan did this very well when he took office in 1981. Bill Clinton did a really good job at it, like it or not. Obama did a superb job at it. And Biden did too with using, with Obama's team using Biden, I would argue, as a cutout. You know, what we've learned over the last several years is that um, the agencies don't necessarily follow what the president's requirements are. They can wait it out four years. They can drag their feet, they can slow walk whatever they feel like, they can lie, they can do whatever they want to a president who doesn't know how to manage a bureaucracy, who doesn't have a team to manage it. But it's not simply enough to put in your own guy as CIA director for a year, transfer him to the State Department, and then let the CIA run itself. That's li literally what happened. When President Trump came in, he, he put Mike Pompeo in as CIA director, great congressman. What did the CIA do? They ran him like an op. They flew him around the world to visit all the CIA stations, kept him out of Langley as much as they possibly could. And then they said, just trust Gina Haspel here, who had so much great experience working with the British. Let her run the agency for you. So he didn't have any deputies under him who he trusted, so, so he did, and she... She worked on him really well, and then he recommended when he was made Secretary of State, let's put Gina in there, career CIA person. Well, well, if the CIA is part of the problem in interfering in our elections, why on earth would you have the CIA run itself? I mean, there was so much going on in the Trump administration, and there was a, not a coherent team that was really working, and they didn't have this action plan because the president viewed... America is run as you would run a business, and it doesn't doesn't work that way. So, boom, CIA just continued running itself. So all those woke ads that came out from the CIA during the first months of the Biden administration were actually produced under Gina Haspel, CIA director, when she was working under Trump. So she just kept it going on within the community. Same thing with the FBI. You just don't fire Comey and then his deputy... McCabe, and then Peter Strzok, the counterintelligence chief. I mean, counterintelligence chief, chief spy hunter of the country, okay, taking Hillary Clinton's campaign propaganda, working with foreign intelligence officers and a Russian who they suspected all along was still working for the old KGB to do the Trump collusion narrative. It's not enough just to cut off those layers of the FBI and then put in somebody else, even if it was the, if it was the best person on earth. You have to just really go down to the root of the rot. It's, it's like a, it's again, it's like a cancer patient. You have to cut out the parts that are beyond repair. You have to heal the parts that are reparable and you might have to have some transplants here and there or you'll lose the patient. I appreciate the frustration of people who say just defund it all and shut it down. But that's like saying just because our military has messed up leadership and terrible recruitment that we should just not have a military anymore. That doesn't make sense at all. So we need the functions that the CIA does. We need most of the functions that the FBI does. 
So let's preserve the functions, but change the structures, change the command and control, change the whole bureaucratic ethos, and break them up so that they cannot be used against constitutional government. So what I propose, and there are lots of different points of view, so this is just to kick off a national discussion of how we would do this. So it's their ideas in progress all the time. But you take the crime-fighting part of the FBI, the criminal branch, and you move it over to the U.S. Marshals Service, eliminating some of the non-useful functions, and therefore you're eliminating the positions, and therefore you're eliminating the federal employees. Get them off the federal payroll. Get them out completely, because you can't fire them. So you move it to the U.S. Marshals, which for its, its entire history is the oldest, the first federal law enforcement agency created by George Washington with a really good reputation and, and not as woke yet as everything else. Move it over to the Marshal Service. Move the FBI Academy over to the Marshal Service. Move the FBI National Security Division. That's probably one of the most politicized units. Break that into a separate counterintelligence service simply to hunt spies and agents of influence. And then the rest of the National Security Division, like counterterrorism, parcel that out to other offices in government that already do that role, and so on down the line. It's not a perfect solution, but then you have nothing left of the Bureau except the use of the human resources side and the other parts that you don't need. And then those positions are simply abolished. Those federal employees are off the books. They, they no longer have security clearances. They can't be a problem anymore. And then with the CIA just divided into, first it's really bloated. I mean, you don't need secret intelligence to spy on climate change. But that's what we're doing with our intelligence assets. We're, we're literally spying on, on the climate. Like, why do you need that? That's a big waste. Why do you need secret intelligence for gender? It's, it's crazy, all the waste that goes in there. Explain to me how that works. I can't. It's, okay. it's beyond logic. But they, okay. they have a gender is a fundamental role of CIA now. I don't understand it, but they say that that's a big part of their core mission. So let's accept that as, as a truth coming from the CIA. But there's a lot you don't need. Of the 30-odd thousand CIA personnel, if you only have 1,500 actual agents out there around the world in the clandestine service, we don't really know how big it is, but it's comparatively very small. Then what are the rest doing? I mean, a lot of them are doing support activities and intelligence collection and analysis, and you need that technology. You need all that. Um, but you don't, it's very wasteful and very bloated. So abolish a lot of the functions that don't need to be done. You don't need the CIA doing open source intelligence because any journalist can do that. Any grad student can do that. So you keep the clandestine covert operations side lean and mean and effective because there are a lot of great people in there doing a fantastic job as a separate standalone service like a clandestine service separate and then the analytical or the intelligence collection and analysis side the information collecting and processing side make that its own service but weed it out to get a lot of the woke craziness out of there how are people reacting to your suggestions well, on the sheriff's side, a lot of people just never thought of that before. And I never did until my colleagues told me about it. On the dismantle the FBI side, I found that the younger former agents and whistleblowers think it's a great idea. And they would even go farther than I would go on it. Some of the older guys, either still in or, or retired, 
have say no you can't do it it's too complicated there's a whole technology side that you can't break that part up there's mm-hmm. and but they're also attached to the FBI brand mm-hmm. it's, it's like the FBI has become the bud light of law enforcement mm-hmm. now if you like that brand you can stick with it but most people would not stick with that brand under those circumstances mm-hmm. so we don't need an FBI if it's run its course but we need everything it does so the question is how do you organize it to do it that way mm-hmm. and what about what about on the CIA side I mean similar s- similar reactions or how they mostly hate the idea they won't argue on the woke issue because it's so blatant and so public and a lot of even even liberal CIA guys who are still mission oriented they say yeah this is insane this is doing us a lot of damage well fine speak up and get rid of it they wouldn't speak on the record for the book I couldn't even make hints about some of the people I talked to so if they're not going to come forward then then they're dooming their own former agency it should go the way of the OSS the OSS just became a liability that was a mission accomplished but do it in a more orderly way than the OSS which was completely abolished and then we had nothing split it in two along those two functional lines and then pair back the useless functions that are within them you're describing you know massive massive changes you know it's kind of um, it's hard hard to imagine right how 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 all of this would work but you know maybe as we finish up any final thoughts we need all these functions but we don't need states within a state we don't need an an intelligence community that views itself as above the american people whose leaders believe and act that they can mislead congress and lie to congress including the very oversight committees whose responsibility is to govern how they operate you can't have an fbi director come in and not answer a yes or no question when the neither either answer would not be violating any necessary secrets but this needs to know the answers but if it's like when when senator cruz said uh, did the fbi have any assets or agents who were involved in the planning or execution of criminal acts of violence on january 6th at the capitol and the senior fbi official would not answer he was literally saying was did the FBI plan and commit crimes against Congress and the FBI would not answer and that was 2 years ago and they still have not answered you've got to ask why is that you would think the FBI would come forward and sit and be as forthcoming as possible but instead you have an FBI director who flies a gulfstream jet from Reagan airport in Alexandria, Virginia to Manassas, Virginia, a 6-minute flight for his commute home. This is his little principality, his little kingdom, and he acts like a sovereign entity. So that's a real danger. So now is is really the time when we it's our last great chance to do something about it because the way the careerists have moved in and elevated, uh you're going to have the whole FBI full of bad people. in the next presidential term unless something is done this year. Hmm. Well, Michael Waller, it's such a pleasure to have had you on. It's great to be with you. I I wish I could be more optimistic, but there is reason for us to um be that way if our citizens are adequately informed and active.
Thank you all for joining Michael Waller and me on this episode of American Thought. So here we are, guys. We're back with Wendy's Boutique, wendyslimited.com, wendyslimited.com, and the hottest boutique couture online, boutique supremacy online, Wendy's Boutique. So we've got to remind you guys, wendyslimited.com, our great sponsor. Please go and support her and support uh, all the hardworking folks over there that are trying to bring you the best fashion design and designer brand name labels anywhere. So we just have to remind you that wendyslimited.com, Wendy'slimited.com is where you need to go.